0: Hey, welcome to Slashers and Spirits, a horror movie podcast. In this show, Kim and I show some of our favorite horror movies to AJ, who hated the genre until just recently. It's also tradition that we drink heavily throughout this process, but not really today. Um, I'm Aaron.
1: I'm AJ. I'm Kim.
0: Hey, how are we all doing? Good. Well, um, oh, Kim said she was, she was feeling ill today.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that's our fault.
0: I started today slightly ill and I got better really rapidly.
1: I feel switch. fine.
0: <laughs> we had our first, we watched a movie last night. We saw we saw Candyman 2021, but we saw it in person, mm-hmm. which is the first time that's happened.
1: Yeah. Yay.
0: Kind of crazy.
1: It was so nice to see you guys in physical space. Not just yeah, talk was, to it was, you.
0: It was cool. <laughs> It'd been almost a year now.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: With all three of us, I I've seen him yeah, a couple of times. So we went to. I saw you like last Saturday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We're like literally the next morning after the podcast. But no, it was a, it was a good time. But we all we all drank a fair bit. Yeah, yeah, just, uh, resulting in our our various states of waking up. But we had to see a late showing of the movie, so we didn't record right after because it would have been just crazy late. So.
1: Yeah, we don't need
2: 3 the three a.m. recording.
0: No no so this is the next day um aj and i made a drink so we'll at least have a drink while we're doing the podcast but no drunk podcast this week <clears throat> so hopefully
1: um, we're still entertaining
0: no that was the that was our power it's gone <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right let's go take shots there and we can do quink, this We oh god <laughs> our um
0: i'm already a little off off put by my my 230 beer right now it's not God. it's not the best after after last night especially
2: this is my second drink your second drink today yeah i had a drink at lunch okay <laughs> being mad
1: judged
2: no i just i can't relate because you drank more than me i had two margaritas. And I literally felt like I wanted to throw up all today. To be fair, though, I didn't eat a lot yesterday, so I was drinking on, like, a mostly empty stomach, so that's probably also why. But yeah, um, this morning, I was just – I just felt, like, gross and just – I wanted to throw up. It wasn't the alcohol. It was the sugar. But I'm honestly, I was, I'm like, if they're going to be drinking, I'm just going to lie and just make up a drink. But I'm drinking water <laughs> because I had coffee this morning and that was horrendous because it made me more dehydrated. So I'm um. just drinking water right now.
0: If you don't want to talk about this, that's okay. But you had told me that you you existed off of coffee for so long that you were so dehydrated oh, yeah. that you had to go in for it.
2: Well, <laughs> right? I donate platelets and so <laughs> they had to keep rejecting me because... I was so dehydrated that the needle, like, my vein was, like, so, Mm. like, small that it was, like, hitting the needle. Like, the needle was hitting my vein when they were trying to take out my blood. And it was just, it was so painful that they couldn't get anything out. Like, it just, it hurts no matter how they put it in, no matter how much they, like, try to soothe it. It was just from, like, I don't want to say severe dehydration, but just, like, constant dehydration. So I haven't gone back to donate in, like, months just because I'm scared. <laughs> but that's how bad it was. And I drank water, like, obviously before donating. And, like, that wasn't <laughs> enough. They're just, like, it's just hitting the top of your vein and there's nothing we can do about that. I drank, like, three big cups of water. <laughs> and, like, for, like my cups, my Venti cups that I drink from at home.
0: Just like in life, not necessarily that day, but like before <laughs> yeah, you were in like that, that day. In your life lifetime. you have had three you
2: really in the last twenty five years. But now yeah, I'm like really dehydrated, so um this was also probably why <clears throat> the alcohol affected me a lot was because I also didn't drink water yesterday. I only had like half a cup. Wow. Yeah. So I was dehydrated, I didn't really eat, and I drank and I ate late, so it was just a combination of everything. I'm also a little bitch, so it's probably that, too. <laughs> that, like, I haven't drank drink in, like, a while. Like, I haven't had tequila in, like, a hot second, so that could also be another factor.
1: I think I had five drinks last night, and I didn't even feel
2: slightly buzzed. Jesus Christ. I had one, and I was like, this margarita is hidden. <laughs> I was, like, the only one at I that felt point. It. <laughs> I felt it a little
1: bit with the first Moscow Mule I had. I was like, ooh, I can tell that I'm drinking alcohol now. But after that, I didn't
2: feel anything. Oh, yeah. You guys drank at the apartment. Jesus fucking Christ. Holy shit. And you (laughs) drank at the theater. Oh, my fucking God. Jesus Christ. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I had like five, too. But I was drunk. (laughs) I feel like I I was certainly drunk.
2: Holy shit. Damn. You guys are just built different. I can't. I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Two drinks destroyed me. I can't imagine trying to get you know shit faced again. I I don't think I physically could. I think one more drink and I would have just been like knocked out, tired. (laughs) I can't. But it was a it was a it was a good time regardless, right? We all all lived. (laughs) It was (laughs) fun. It was. It's always the after the morning after that like sucks ass. But no, the during was very fun. It was a good time.
0: And I didn't have to pee in the middle of the movie, which is I'm always terrified of whenever I drink before mm. <laughs> I go Same. to a movie theater. I thought for sure I have to pee during that movie.
2: It wasn't that long, to be honest. I, I thought it was mm. long when I saw it the first time. Um, I thought it was like an hour, like almost two hours, but no, it's an hour thirty-one. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty short. No, it was
0: It was pretty well paced, too. I don't think there was any part where I was like, oh my god, fucking move on, which is yeah. a lot to say in a, a horror movie. Um, I was going to say we should talk about last week's movie, but this is, we're going to, there's no way to not talk about it while talking about this movie. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) Like, we're going to reflect on the first Candyman while talking about about this one. But yeah, no, it was refreshing to see a, a more, like. Modern cerebral horror movie that wasn't two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. I I certainly, I certainly enjoyed that. Like a non-Bloomhouse horror movie (laughs) that was that was under three hours. Also, we saw this trailer from Malignant beforehand, and that shit just looks so samey, in my opinion. It looks like every other fucking James Wan movie.
2: Yeah, I mean, I saw that trailer, and I'm gonna be honest, it turned me off to ever watching it, so I'm probably not, unless for some reason we do for this podcast, but...
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Oh, that was my pick. Malignant? (laughs) No. (laughs)
1: Oh, oh God. I
2: was like, Jesus (laughs) fucking Christ. Okay. (laughs) At least it's not Twilight, so I guess I'll take it.
1: I'm not going to pick Twilight. Okay. Because I was told I'm not allowed to. Good. (laughs) I still think we would have a lot to talk about, and I think it would make a good podcast, but.
2: It's not horror. Maybe we'll make a Twilight podcast on the side. To some some people, it's it's horror. We can put out a bonus episode. It's horrifying, but it's not horror.
1: I think we should do a bonus episode. (laughs)
2: it's <laughs> like an
0: extra one
1: for twilight what? like if you get like you do this <laughs> why would you suggest this? but we just cover all four of them in one episode jesus christ oh
0: oh wow. christ i don't know about that well we're
1: gonna watch all four of them or five of them there's uh. five Wait, there's five yeah
2: the or on part one two. and part two I, th- I thought there was only there's four books but the last there's movie put into two movies because oh. they wanted more money
0: I thought there was three and they split the last
1: one. Okay, that makes more yeah, sense. Yeah, no, it's
0: fine. Four books is a weird is a weird thing. You try to stick to a trilogy, or then you go for like six. Or yeah,
1: no, Twilight's really you know, um an it's outlier. It's different. It's special. It's not like other girls. God.
0: <laughs> Do we want to bring up any Harry Potter things real quick so we can get the holy? Well, I done have a reference we'll, done. We'll have I have a reference everything.
1: to bring up later for Harry Potter.
0: Okay, so we will cover that. Basis yeah, we will. Don't worry. Again. Okay. Because it wouldn't be an episode of this podcast if we didn't talk about both Harry Potter and Twilight. You know Jesus what? That's some point.
1: We're very obviously products of our generation. And the things that shaped our generation have to be brought up. All right, plus so there's some uh, of do... the... Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, plus there's some of the only movies I've seen, so... <laughs> some of the only movies. Like, you've only seen what we've shown in Twilight <laughs> and Harry Potter. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I've seen That's romantic it. comedies. God, no. That's even worse. <laughs> That's even worse. I don't think... I've seen a
0: couple romantic comedies, but not many. Although, you guys all thought I hated Legally Blonde. <laughs> like, oh, it's <laughs> so passion. good. All right, should, we, should we move on to Candyman? Should we...
1: Wait, right what in. are you drinking, Aaron?
0: <clears throat> oh, I'm drinking... Um, oh, this Monday is... Oh fuck! Is it Labor Day? Is yes, that, yes. it's it Labor is? Day. Okay, good. Uh, this it's Labor Day, and then I have a, a Stone Enjoy by Labor Day IPA.
1: Mm.
0: It's it's good. That's <laughs> good. It's, it's packed. I should have realized. I was like, hey, I'll I'll have a beer for like the ritual of it during the podcast. And I sat down I'm like, oh, this beer's nine point four percent. Jesus, this is, um,
1: damn.
0: Yeah, this is kind of an intense midday beer, but we'll, we'll get through it.
1: I'm drinking so. vodka and Seven Up. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm drinking oh, a lot of vodka. There's a lot of vodka in this drink. Oh my god. Oh, hell yeah. I don't know how to pour a light drink. It's just not on me. This has been a theme since I've known you. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Just incredibly strong drinks. Uh-huh.
2: I don't know how to not.
0: <laughs> what brand of water are you drinking, Kim? It is
2: my Brita water. It's produced by my brita um, oh. homemade. Ethically sourced. Um mm. It's it, it's open <laughs> source. My Brita does a great job.
1: Refrigerator, but is your Brita ethical? Like I feel like we could have a long discussion about it that. So, she paid. She paid for it. She didn't steal it. No,
2: I bought it from Target, and it's a very good Brita. And you only
1: shops at Target.
2: Facts. I really honestly do. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Just good. It's close to my house, and I really like Target.
0: I was about to say we know more about Kim's water choice than the wine she drinks, but (laughs) I remembered last week. But I remember last week that she full on like said the name of the wine, and it was it's like the wine with no name. It really is just generic
2: (laughs) one. That's how elusive it is. It's just (laughs) Ruscato. Yeah, I'm drinking my water out of my very gay Starbucks cup, and it is. is, I've seen it. It's rainbow.
1: Shit gay water
2: yeah it's gay water exactly that's that's the new name for my water it's gay water
0: that's what they that's what they gave those frogs right to turn the frogs gay
1: i don't know what you're talking about i I, I was like the
0: the, the alex jones putting chemicals in the water that make the frogs gay no you've never heard that no Oh my god. It's like Alex Jones goes on this big rant about how they're putting chemicals in the water that's turning all the frogs gay.
1: Oh. Was it just that somebody was like, gay people exist in like, gayness exists in nature and frogs are gay, and then he was like, that can't be true, there must be chemicals. Like, is that how that happened?
0: I don't know. He's a freak.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
2: This podcast right. does not support Forget Alex I- Jones.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, I don't even know who that is, but I'm assuming he's not a great Oh, he's or a smart conspiracy person.
1: theorist. Uh so he's an idiot. Yeah. Got it. There's more, um, but we don't need to go into it now. <laughs> yeah, you know, let's move on. Let's
0: let's let's remove the Alex Jones portion of this podcast and uh and continue. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, we saw Candyman twenty twenty one last night. Um we we actually didn't skip any weeks in between, so this was at, we actually saw Candyman last week, nineteen ninety two, and we saw twenty twenty one this week. Um, it's the first horror movie th- I've seen in theaters since Invisible Man in like la- uh, February twenty twenty. So it was nice to I've been at the theaters since, but like it was nice to see a horror movie in theaters, and it was even cool just to see like horror movie trailers again and stuff. I was I was into that.
1: I don't know um. the last time I saw a movie in theaters. But I definitely didn't see a horror movie in theaters since high school. And one of the reasons is because of the trailers. Mm. I hate watching horror movie trailers.
0: We really didn't see any good horror movie trailers yeah. besides um, Halloween. Uh, I was kind of, yeah, besides Halloween. I was kind of into that one with like the weird time travel thing. Oh, the, yeah. yeah. Last I was night into that. So... The
1: Edgar Wright one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was kind of into that. I looked interesting enough and Halloween continued to look fucking good. I'm stoked to see that, but yeah, I guess we should say we should get this out of the way that Kim saw this movie before us, mm-hmm. but then went and saw it with us again, and Kim wasn't a fan, and I think A j and I really were. I think also I because I knew Kim didn't like it going in, I expected it to be like really bad, and it's not, and I think that kind of like boosted. My opinion of it, in some ways was I was expecting a turd and I got like a pretty competent horror movie, and I was uh kind of taken aback by that, and I was like, oh wow that that really wasn't shitty um but I'm, I'm sure most of the discussion's gonna be arguing about whether or not it was shitty <laughs> but um but um yeah, I went in with like low expectations because of Kim's initial review and then left pretty damn happy um what what did you what did you think uh a j
1: I really liked it. I really liked it. There is a portion of it that I think is interesting. I have some mm-hmm. issues with it, but I definitely like the overall theme of it all and I definitely like the overall movie. Like I think it was a great sequel and I think that like especially the ways that it like worked off the first movie, I thought was really well done. Yeah. And I just really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed the first movie. So it was nice to enjoy the sequel.
0: Yeah, I, I think I didn't like like maybe three minutes of it. It's like, it's yeah. like as, as far as I'll, I'll go with that is like there was some questionable stuff, but overall I was into it. And, yeah. And then uh, Kim?
2: <laughs> well, I saw it literally the next night after we had filmed and like did um, the original. So I was going yeah. in like 100% back to back from the first movie mm-hmm. to this one. Which, I mean, doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter, but I very much was going in, and this might be my my own, I guess, fault. I was going in with very high expectations for this movie, Uh just because Uh I really liked the original, and I saw the trailer, which I think, Erin, you said you didn't watch the trailer. I saw the trailer for it, so I knew to an extent what it was going to be about for the most part. So I oh, went okay. in already kind of having expectations for what this movie was going to be and seeing who was directing it and seeing who was producing it gave me so much hope for a really great movie and I think I very much was just disappointed and again that could be my own expectations were just set up too high for this movie and I should have just not had that cuz that does happen you know you can go in expecting a great movie and you can see a good movie but it doesn't feel good because it's not in the same like level you expected it to be but watching it for the second time i was like maybe it's just me like maybe i was just you know i was putting too much i guess false expectations on this movie um and no i still didn't like it there were things about this movie that i didn't like and i'm not saying it's a piece of shit i'm not saying it's like the worst you know sequel to have been done of any other movie especially a classic like Candyman. of course not that title goes to child's play 2019 (laughs) That belongs to that movie, but this is not on that same level of like dislike. I just, it's just very lackluster to me, and that's I guess the like shortest way I can explain my feelings for it. It was just very lackluster, and watching it again, it bored me. (laughs) I wasn't really like there was. I mean, again, there are some scenes that are great. There are some things about this movie that I think are very clever. Directing was great. Um, but other than that, I kind of, yeah, I wouldn't want to watch this again, to be honest. Really? That bad,
0: huh? I mean- Like, see, that's the thing, like, I, like, if you don't, if if it's not for you and you were disappointed by it and it just, like, it wasn't that good to you, I totally get that. But it's, like, I I would fight over saying it's, like, a bad movie, because I really don't think it is. Like, it doesn't need to be, like, a 10 out of 10, but I would fight against this movie being, like, objectively bad.
2: It just had a lot that I had, like, issues with. Like, I honestly left, the first time at least, and kind of in the second time, just, like, confused. Like, there was just a lot about it, which I'll get into when I get more into, like, the critiques without, you know, giving away too much, I guess. Mm. It was just really cluttered. And I feel like the plot just didn't make sense. There's a lot of consistency issues in the movie, I don't like what they did with the lore, personally. I think it was very lame and kind of... I don't want to say lazy, but it... They were trying to go in a direction, and I just think they didn't fully execute it well. I think Mm -hmm. even when we get to, like, the dialogue, which inherently is tied to, like, the themes of the plot, I think I understand what they were trying to do with it, and I like it, but I don't think they did it well enough. And... It it's not like it's totally bad in concept I just there's just so much of it that I I'd small details I don't like small things I don't like that it makes the whole movie to me just not really appealing like if someone were to tell me oh let's go watch it again I mean maybe I'd sit through it for a third time but it's not gonna be like oh my god yes can we watch it again for like I would never I would never suggest it I wouldn't put it on and I wouldn't recommend it to people um, because to me, when I recommend movies, it's because I really, really like these movies, whether they're objectively good or not. But yeah, this movie just didn't really do it for me. I, I just yeah, I tried the second time. I really tried to like reanalyze things and maybe like put biases. I don't even have biases, but like you know, trying to see it a bit more objectively. And all I got was more like, oh yeah, that was pretty cool. But there was nothing of that. Oh my god, this movie is like good. I didn't have that sort of feeling. And again, that could just be me. That's totally fair. But, um, yeah, I probably wouldn't want to watch this movie again, to be honest.
0: I think I feel less like this movie made decisions that made it really good, as and it more avoided really bad
2: decisions.
0: <laughs> like, um, I don't know. I think there was stuff I wasn't all. I was happy with it overall at the end, but for like. The first half, there was certainly stuff I was iffy on that then they, they worked with later that kind of resolved it for me. So you, so you
2: liked the second half of the movie?
0: No, not even necessarily. Okay. No, I wouldn't even say that. I'd say the three minutes I don't like of this movie are are in the the, the very end, basically. Okay, um, I would say that the way... I mean, I guess we can kind of just go into it in yeah. general. Yeah. Um, if uh, I'm a bit, we're all a big fan of Tony Todd. I think we all said that this, that Candyman one would be like half of what it was without Tony Todd. Yeah. And that you can't, I mean, I, you know what? I think Tony Todd could have done it, but it's, it would have been, I, I see the challenges of having Tony Todd return as like Candyman again, you know? Mm. And I think um, it, it's, it's just, it's kind of difficult. I mean,
2: how old is Tony Todd now? 68? Hold on. I actually looked that up, but I forgot to write it down. I wanted to see if he was still alive. Because I was like, maybe... He's 66. 66.
0: Yeah, so I guess he could have done it again. And I guess it was a choice to have him not do it. Maybe maybe he said no for some reason. Um,
1: do we want to cover the writers and the director and stuff? Because mm-hmm. I think that those are important.
2: Yeah. Agreed. So it was directed by Nia DaCosta. Cool. Just to point wow. out and give her a little bit of credit, she is the first black female director to have a film debut in the top spot in the U.S. box office. Hell yeah. She also has Love other that. work besides this movie, which is also really good, Um, so I would check that out. It's on my list of things to watch. It's not horror-related, but I like her directing style, so I would always suggest looking into, you know, what she's kind of done. It was produced by Jordan Peele. And he also took part in the screenplay writing alongside Wynne Rosenfeld and also the director Nia DaCosta. Um, It stars Yaha Abdul-Mateen II, and I looked up how to pronounce his name properly, so that is the way he pronounces his name, Um, playing Anthony McCoy, Tony Todd obviously making an appearance as Daniel Robitaille, Tayona Paris playing Brianna Cartwright, Coleman Domingo playing William Burke and Vanessa Estelle Williams playing Anne Marie McCoy. These are more so the characters that are relevant in the store. There are other actors who did a very good job um in other scenes of the movie, but these are the main ones that we'll be referencing and they were at the top of the list in terms of casting, so I wanted to include at least a couple of them.
0: Anne-Marie McCoy was played by the same actress in both Candy. Yes, and I was going to say that
2: because we thought that it was, was say a that. different actress because of how young she looked. That's just, she just aged beautifully. So that's incredible.
0: Saying we're pushing 30 years, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, she looks great. It was, she looks incredible. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And again, the acting in this movie, I think we can say was very, very well done. Um, Mm -hmm. that is not going to be an issue. I think we can all agree in terms of the criticism for this movie. I think the acting was just, like, top tier.
1: Yeah.
0: I I would say visually the movie was pretty incredible in general. Mm -hmm. I did did make the comment that I didn't really recognize any music in it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, uh, like, I don't remember particular, like, moments that kind of called back to the Candyman 1992 score, but I could be wrong. The only... Um,
1: The only music that I recognized was, like, they did the Candyman song in the beginning. Yeah. And I liked that. Yeah. But that was the only time I was like, oh, the music.
2: Yeah, the cinematography, the directing was really good in this movie. There were some some incredible shots. um, A great play on the small details that I think, when we go through more so the plot and whatnot, I think the small details very much are attributed to um nia DaCosta's wonderful directing work so i think she did she did a really good job even though i might say you know this film wasn't really for me i don't want to take away from how great of a job she did and same with the actors i think that hands down is not on the list of what any of my issues or criticisms are about this movie filming was beautiful acting was phenomenal so i just want to make that hundred yeah. percent you know give credit where it's due <laughs> yeah because there are movies with actors that just, you know, didn't do that great of a job, and that's what takes a hit in movies, uh-huh. and this is not one of them.
0: Uh, this this movie's a pretty polished product, performance-wise, visually, I think. I think there's some really cool shots in this movie, too. Yeah, agreed. Should we get started? Yeah. So, I, I guess the first thing that happens is the whole laundromat thing, right? Correct. Yeah.
2: Well, the opening credits, I think we should give a little bit of, like, artistic aesthetic for the opening. How everything, yeah, is mirrored.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, that is, that is where, I thought, I thought something was wrong. Yeah. I was like, fuck, I'm gonna have to go outside and talk to <laughs> somebody and let them know the movie's flipped.
2: <laughs> no, it's like, it's so cool, like, the opening, um, credit for all, like, the production companies and yeah, everyone that worked on it, even the Lionsgate, um, logo in the beginning, it's all, like, it's flipped, it's mirrored. And I thought that was just yeah. such a cool little, like, again, the details of things that are just, they're so small. But they're so, like, cool. You don't really see things like that, really. Even, like, the title was also, like, all that stuff was, like, mirrored and flipped. And the sound of bees is, like, what you start hearing Mm -hmm. as the credits kind of start going inward towards the beginning of the movie. It's just this buzzing of bees that becomes, like, louder and louder. I loved it. I think that was just an incredible way to open it. And then it cuts to the silence and then the first scene, which you were going to go into. Just, I mean, aesthetically, I think it was just really beautiful.
0: Absolutely. Um, AJ do you have any thoughts on that before we continue
1: No I agree I think it was really cool and really well done
0: So uh, the movie starts at Cabrini Green Once again but this time I think it was 77 Yeah, Is what it said it was yeah. Um, We didn't take notes really or anything This time I know Kim might have taken some With it being her second time but like a lot of this Was just like in the theater so it's This might be a bit sloppier <laughs> as far as uh, Retelling than, than usual Um but it starts at Cabrini Green, and um, they introduce a kid, Bi- Billy.
2: I don't remember his
0: name. Uh, his name, sure, William. 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 It's Billy. Yeah, the nickname when yeah. he was young. Yeah. yeah, Billy. So he's he goes to a laundromat uh, on his like mother's request, and he finds essentially Candyman living in the walls, and it's um. It's very clearly not Tony Todd, but it's also somebody that's not trying to be Tony Todd whatsoever, like, period. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very different vibe. Tony Todd has kind of, like, this, like, romantic, like, elegance to him that is just not shown at all in this Candyman. And that was one of my, my initial concerns with this movie is, like, not only is this, you know, not Tony Todd, but it's someone not even trying to portray, like, the same character whatsoever. And I think that while the Candyman, that Candyman works in some ways, it reeks of we remade a classic horror movie and fucked with the character. Mm -hmm. And, like, my red flags at this point were, like, (laughs) were waving really strongly. I, I I was not vibing with this new Candyman. But if I remember correctly, we basically just see Candyman, Billy screams, and then uh, the police outside recognize this and then it cuts away again. Right. And it yeah. goes into we, we find the resolution to that scene much, much later.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but I will say that the first introduction to Candyman was, uh, or I guess, you know, spoilers, this Candyman, um, I was not a big fan of. And uh, I think that's why I c- I could definitely understand some upset about, about this in particular. What what was your guys' thoughts upon seeing this, this new Candyman for, like, the first time?
1: I thought he was creepier, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, and we talked about this last week, that, like, Candyman's not scary, like, as a film. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not something that's, like, intimidating or anything like that. And so it's definitely interesting to then, like, witness one that is definitely, like, creepier. And he had, it almost felt like some kind of, like, weird innocence to him when he was first shown. I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but like that's kind of the best way I could describe it that he has like this aura of like kind of innocence where he's like just giving the candy and is like confused and like just trying to like give this kid candy but came out of the walls in a very scary way. So, I, that's kind of the best way I like imagine this candy man.
2: So, in the beginning, I there was before in this exact scene when Billy was leaving the house, um Someone, one of the girls asked him to, like, also do her laundry. And it was, like, a whole playful thing. And he said, no. And she says, I hope Sherman gets you. And then when he passes by the police car, they show him, like, a wanted, I guess, picture of Uh a man who we now know looks like Sherman. Which we now know is referencing the Candyman that we see in the walls. So putting all those together in that opening scene, I guess, I, like, knew that it wasn't the Candyman from the original, obviously because the name was different and it's a different year. But mm-hmm. I think they chose someone who looks very much like Tony Todd. Yeah, Like the man had similar build. He's wearing a similar coat. Um, and he has that similar presence of, because of his height, it's very daunting. And obviously the child having that sort of like fear and all the elements in that scene of the kid and the man is very like, the lights running out, the reflection in the doorways, how he sees the hole in the wall. That's what he notices. Sherman standing in the hole. He notices that he's there. All of that setup up, to me, was very much projecting the same kind of aura that Candyman would be. But we know that it's not him because the name is Sherman. So to me, it was more confusing than anything else because mm. I know that it wasn't Candyman and he wasn't summoned in the same way that... Candyman is supposed yeah. to be summoned. So yeah. at this point, I was thinking, oh, are they, is it the way they did in the first movie where someone is just going by that title, calling themselves yeah. Candyman? Yeah. In the same way that, you know, the gang member from before was doing that exact same thing. That's where I was at in the beginning. And I was like, okay, I guess we're just going to redo kind of what we saw in the first one, which wouldn't have upset me, to be honest, because we did it in the first one. So it's, you know, but. Yeah, that that's kind of what I was thinking alongside that whole opening scene.
0: I think you're also going at this in a different way than I was, where for all I knew, Sherman was Candyman now, because I had no concept that this movie was going to be at all related to the first one at this point. It might as well have been a, a remake,
2: Yeah, you know, like,
0: as far as what I was seeing. So I didn't see, like, oh, clearly that's not the Candyman because his name is Sherman. In my eyes, I was like, that could just be Candyman now, like, I weren't new continuity as far as uh, the mindset I was going and walk, uh, like sitting down in that theater, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: I think that I thought that it was much more of like, I had this image of Candyman being like choosing alter egos almost. And that, that Mm -hmm. being like who Sherman was like that. He wasn't a real person that he was always Candyman, but some people had seen him and therefore that's how the police had like gotten him. But that he was always just the same Candyman.
0: Let's move forward a bit because we will revisit the scene yeah. with context later. Yeah. We now meet like our two leads. Or, or does it explain Candyman one first? No, that happens. It happens like right That's after the That's explained by meet, Troy, yeah, right? Yeah, by Troy. Yeah.
1: You meet the brother and the boyfriend first.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so we meet Brianna and Anthony, who are like two leads that live together. And they kind of make it clear that it's Brianna's apartment because she's a wealthy... Art, she she organizes art. Curator. Yeah,
2: gallery director. Curator. Yeah. Thank you.
0: And Anthony McCoy is her boyfriend, who is who lives with her and is an artist, but hasn't done anything in about two years. They're being visited by Troy and Troy's boyfriend. Was it was it Grady? Oh, McGrady. Grady. Yeah, you're right. So Troy and Troy and Grady are a couple who come and visit brianna because troy is brianna's brother <laughs> i made that really confusing if <laughs> brianna's brother troy comes over with his boyfriend and they are um having dinner and
1: great i mean is is,
0: is there anything they talk about how cabrini green
1: used to the be pro,
0: the projects are now like these luxury apartments that they live in um and it has a kind of a similar like theme to the first one of like the the housing that's meant to be used for lower income is bulldozed and made into crazy expensive apartments. Um, they start talking about if they know the history of Cabrini Green, and they then basically tell the story of Candyman One, like verbatim. Well, that's actually not true. They tell the story of Candyman One via like a, like a shadow puppet type show. It's a really cool mm-hmm. effect. I th- I thought so. Uh-huh. I agree. I liked it. I thought it was really well done. The only difference is they tell this story as if Candyman was never a portion of it, really. That all the murders from the first movie were were done by Helen. And no one else ever saw Candyman. And Helen abducted the baby. And, and Helen brought the baby into the, the fire and everything. And I can see how that is certainly like an interpretation of that story. But I again started having some problems early on because... The ending of Candyman 1 is at the Cabrini-Green residence going into Helen's funeral, and they wouldn't have done that if they thought she was the, antagon- the antagonist that caused all these issues. So I was again wondering if they had messed with continuity or the story had changed, and I thought, and, but now of course I'm starting to realize, oh no, this is like a Halloween 2018 situation where they're directly sequelizing the, uh, the original movie. And I guess Candyman 2 and 3 could have still happened? Um, I don't think those are necessarily to canonize, but no one cares about those anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't really matter. But they didn't just mention, yeah, I heard there was, you know, this woman, Helen, that went crazy. It was... No, Candyman 1 happened, and this is exactly what happened in Candyman 1, mm-hmm. and I was really happy that we revisited the movie the week before, because it really, I, I think it really added to the enjoyment, and I'm not sure that someone that would go see Candyman 2021 without seeing 1992 would get the same things from it.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so Do you guys want to talk about this portion at all before we move forward just a little bit?
1: No. Not really. I think that it's just, like, it's important background to, like, give you guys, give everyone, like, oh, this is what happened, and give some kind of history there, but, and it sets up the plot really well, but I don't think it's, like, anything that we need to, like, sit very long on.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought it was good homage to the original. The shadow puppets are pretty cool, and I think it's interesting seeing the story from, in the same way that Candyman is lore, Helen also became lore, so I think hearing it as a lore, or urban legend as kind of tale, um, but obviously not the truth. A.K. What we saw in the first one is what's interesting about it, and I think this movie does a really good job with portraying that very well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's it's very respectful to the first movie in in a lot of ways, and I think I think that they really respected the first movie going into this. Like mm-hmm. they went into this knowing they had a legacy, and they could have. I, I I think I I didn't quite know that at the time too that was kind of ready for them to shit on candy man a little bit but yeah, yeah. um i do think it, it turned around in the end and all of my gripes were really resolved but the kind of catalyst to the movie is when troy leaves the dinner party or just the dinner he says uh, hey anthony pick up a paintbrush my sister can't support you forever you know or whatever and it, it seems like it's not I I never got the sense that Brianna was like begging him to hurry up and start painting. I think that she was pretty patient with him and mm-hmm. understood the the process. But it seems to be something that bugs Troy a little bit, and he didn't necessarily say it mean spiritedly, but I think he brought it up a couple times. I think yeah. it was a he he's nudging a little bit. Um, but Anthony felt really connected to the story of Candyman of the first film that Troy told, and decides to go and research. Everything that had happened there. He even talks about how Helen, like, decapitated the Rottweiler, and it's, you know, hours after Troy left, and they're in bed, and Brianna's talking to Anthony, and Anthony is ignoring her and just goes, wow, she really did decapitate a <laughs> yeah. Rottweiler. Like, like, it like it stuck with him, like, very clearly. And that's kind of how those plot starts to unfold, is Anthony looking into Candyman. Mm-hmm. Did you want to kind of take it from here, Kim? Because I'm... I
2: don't... Um... The only thing that I guess is an important piece is that Anthony um is presenting some of his he wants he's gonna be part of like an art show that Brianna is yes. directing. So he meets with one of the other curators of that um show to kind of present, you know, what is exactly he's gonna be showing. And he <laughs> they have a whole discussion and he's he's trying to kind of basically pull shit out of his ass. Um, because it, it kind of implied that he did a really great show when he was younger or years before, um, and now he kind of doesn't have that same inspiration. And what he shows the curator, which I believe is Clive, but I could be wrong. I don't know if it's Clive, the same Yeah, person. It, yeah, um, yeah, Clive. Is just basically like a repainting of his old work, and Clive is just like, this is you from the past. I want you in the future. I want you now. And so he kind of tries to throw around, like, I guess just – you know, big words of, like, I'm going to be talking about gentrification, white supremacy of, like, the South Side. And Clive <laughs> kind of says that, like, the South Side is kind of overplayed. Um, So then he kind of searching something out of the top of his head suggests cabrini Green because that's currently, you know, where they live in. It's Chicago-based. And he just heard it the night before from um Tony? Yeah. So Troy. Troy. Oh, my God, Troy. I know that sounded wrong. Um, So that kind of then becomes his inspiration for his art piece that he's going to be presenting to everyone at the show that they're doing i think that's pretty much it that's important that's when he starts going into like helen lyle and looking into like cabrini green and all that stuff that happened and then he goes to cabrini to take pictures he's searching around the empty portion of like some of the projects that are not being used anymore and he's taking photos as inspiration And again, he sees a cop car coming. He kind of does like a little sidestep jump to kind of hide from them. And that's when he meets um, William Burke, who sees him do that and happens to be there as well.
0: I want to point out that he also got stung by a bee while he was taking pictures of um, Mm -hmm. of it was like a church, right? Or a chapel? I thought it might be the bathrooms from the original Mm. for a second, but it's but it's it's like some kind of church. And he gets stung by a bee, and then he runs into William. Yeah. Do you want to do the William stuff? um
2: sure i hope i don't skip over things if i do let me know okay um it's all good. so he meets william who he helps you take his stuff to his laundromat which he owns and they're kind of talking about cabrini green and then kind of what happened to helen he wants more of an explanation from a person who lived there about what exactly happened on those those streets i guess And William wasn't there for that, but he definitely is, like, you know, an older man, so he knows more about the lore than, you know, anyone else would around there, or so he thinks. And so William kind of talks to him and then brings up the fact that, you know, there he names off a couple other, I guess, incidences that have happened in Cabrini-Green, but then says, no one's heard of those. When one white woman dies, that's when everybody, like, loses their mind. That's what becomes Uh the talk around the street and not anyone else besides that white woman. And then he's kind of telling more about the fact that Helen was there in the first place because she was researching Candyman. Of course, Anthony has no idea who Candyman is. So Burke explains to him who Candyman was for him. So we go back to the scene at the very beginning with the child and Sherman in the laundromat. And he now we kind of piece together that Burke is the child in that scenario because now he's using present tense when he's explaining that he had an encounter with Sherman, a man who had a hook for a hand, and the police were looking for because Sherman would pass out candy to the kids at the projects, but one Halloween um a white girl, which is his words found razor blades in her candy and everyone knowing that sherman is someone who passed candy regularly for some reason pinned it on him and thought that he was the one that they were looking for with obviously without any other investigation which is crazy so they were searching for sherman but they couldn't find him and so burke being the one who does find sherman in that laundromat screams um, stops screaming, takes the candy from Sherman, and then starts walking back up those stairs. And Sherman does note in one of, you know, on the dialogue that he's explaining that that was the first time he's seen true fear. And in that sense, he wasn't talking about his own feelings as a child, but the look on Sherman's face. Because as he goes up those stairs, we hear the clatter of, like, police, or foot footsteps, which are the police... And then at the very top of the stairs, we see the cop from the cop car earlier in the beginning scene. Look down, see Burke, and then open the door, pull him out, and a like a bunch of cops just run down those stairs. And Burke yeah, explains, it's gotta be like eight. Yeah, no, it was like it was a lot. It was just like y'all yeah. don't have any other jobs to be doing, but sitting there. But whatever. <laughs> and Burke explains that um they beat him to death down there, and a really great little detail is we don't really see that happen which is obviously great but we hear the scream at the same time on the door in the little mirror we see like I believe it's one or two maybe a few bees kind of tapping at the window trying to get out and Burke then I mean obviously Anthony's face is we flash back to that scene Anthony's face is horrified and Burke explains you know after they kill him they find two weeks later more razor blades in the candy, stating that Sherman was not the one who was doing this. And (laughs) that's just, like, really crazy. But it's kind of implied that Candyman is not just one specific person. That's Candyman to him. And Burke has this really great—I don't know it by heart, but he has this really great end portion of his speech where he's like, that's Candyman to me. And he names a couple other people and then I believe he drops Daniel Robote, which is from the first uh, yeah. movie, which we didn't get his name in the first movie, but that is Tony Todd's name for his Candyman. Um, and he says, Candyman isn't just one person. It's... Oh, I forgot the word that he uses, but it's like a...
0: An entity. It, like an entity. Something, it's eh? something
2: else because his stuff continues to happen. And then he kind of obviously tells him about, like, if you say it five times, like, he will appear i think i think he said that or was it implied no, we, we, we
0: should we should no he does say that but we should also say at this point the night troy told anthony about candy man he looked in the mirror and said candy man very much like helen like mm-hmm. the first thing helen does right, right, is right. say candy man five times and then lives longer than anybody else that says candy man five times and th- this is no different as far as lead characters go so at this point, when he's being told, oh, yeah, like, seriously, don't say that because you will die. He's like, well, fuck, I did it last night. So <laughs> you know? uh, he doesn't say anything about it. He keeps it to himself. But this kind of an implied like, oh, late we'll for that.
1: I thought that the- he said it after he yeah. talked to he said William it after. because it- Troy doesn't know about Candyman.
2: Yeah, no. He says, an after oh, when he no? shows Brianna, so he goes home and he paints. Oh, you're
0: right. You're 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 totally right. Yeah. yeah sorry, I got those two. They're like both scenes where they're like about to go to bed yeah. and shit. Too. Yeah. It's like night in the apartment, so I got confused. You're right. You're right. Yeah.
2: He goes home and he like looks up the picture of um, Sherman's face post mortem, um, and paints a picture on on a canvas to basically be part of the show that he's going to be doing. And then then he shows Brianna and obviously she was like it's very um like literal like you're taking violence and pain and just kind of putting it on a canvas. It's it's just a bit too like you're turning violence and you're just kind of putting it out there. There's nothing really like clever about it, I guess. It's kind of what she's yeah. implying. And, you know, he says that he feels really connected to it and he's never felt this way. So she's obviously supporting him in that sense that she's glad that he feels that way. And then that's when Anthony says, like, well, the legend says that, you know, if you say it five times in a mirror, you could summon him. So he wants to do it. And she, of course, is like, no, none in my apartment. Like, we're not going to be summoning shit in my apartment. <laughs> and then he does it. And, you know, there's, like, a cute little, like, moment where he does it, and then she starts hitting him, and she's like, no, Anthony, no. And they're, like, you know, kissing and, like, being all cutesy. And in the reflection, we see the reflection of Sherman standing behind them. Which I think is a really cool thing that we see throughout this movie is that that play on mirroring that we kind of got from the beginning yeah, credits.
1: Yeah, I think so, too.
2: Um. So... That is what happens next after that. So we be Sherman is there, but but nothing happens, which I think is also very interesting. Um, yeah, so that's that scene. And then we go to the night of the show afterwards. Do you want me to continue or do you want to take it from here? Do you wanna take it, AJ? From the show?
1: Uh sure. <laughs> I remember, like, I literally told Molly, I was like, I didn't write any notes, because I wasn't going to in the middle of the movie, but I also was very much like, damn, I didn't write any notes, you know? So, it's the night of, it's the show, it's the, you see, I don't remember who you see first, but you kind of, like, get an image of, like, all the gallery things, and all the different things going on, and then they show you Anthony's piece, and Anthony's piece is a mirror, and it says, say my name, over it. Oh, you see a teenage girl looking at it and she mm-hmm. like reads it and it says like Candyland five times written and uh, Candyland! Candyman! Damn Candy- <laughs> <it. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Candyman! <laughs> I work with the way too many children. <laughs> I think about Candyland way too often. Um, Candyman five times and she's like looking at it and then she leaves and then you see this um, critic go up And Anthony like starts walking over and starts talking and you get a side, um, scene of his girlfriend and the, um, head of the gallery. I forget his name. Clive. Yeah. Clive. Um, talking about it like why is he talking to the critic you need to get control of him da, 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 da. and then you go back to Anthony and the critic and t- the critic has like opened up the thing and so inside the mirror and it opens the way that like um, in the first movie she takes out it's like a medicine cabinet and she takes it out and then behind it is like this entrance and that's how Candyland kills the first woman that dies god, game, we're gonna roll. god
0: damn it <laughs> <laughs>
1: Candyman. <laughs> now I've said it almost five times. Say don't say it again, no. <laughs> um, that's why I keep saying Candyland, actually. It's a protective measure. Um Oh, I see. It's yeah. Intentional. Yeah. Anyways, he is known for coming through the medicine cabinet from the first movie. So it opens and it's like a medicine cabinet, and behind it you see um different portraits of like different signs of violence and stuff. And um The Critic, which was a very, um, I don't know, it was a very significant line, I'll say. Anthony's like, yeah, it's about gentrification and all this stuff. And she goes, and she's a white woman, and she looks at him and she goes, yeah, your people always are in charge of gentrification. And he goes, my people? And she's like, yeah, artists. And it's just like one of those lines that like sticks in the air for a second. Yeah, Um, because you think she's, she probably is still...
0: Racist, but but it seems a lot worse for a second.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that was very um, like very poignant, I think, uh moment. And then he, she likes talk shit on it, and then Anthony starts drinking and getting really drunk. She 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 also
0: mentions that it's like the the subject matter is easy or something. Like yeah, it's it's like it's, it's kind of a cop out piece. Like it's really easy to be like murder bad or whatever. But she doesn't. Uh, Really gross way. She's just pretty shitty.
1: Mm-hmm. So she, um, she like moves on and leaves, and then he gets really drunk, and then um, he like, there's a couple more scenes where like you see Troy and his boyfriend like saying the name, and then you see Anthony being very drunk, and then he walks up to Clive and his girlfriend, and they're talking to some dude. I guess it's another artist or something. Um, and the guy is like starts saying shit about Anthony's work. And yeah. And Anthony gets really upset and is like like yells at this man, says something rude back. I don't remember what he said.
0: Just... He mentions him sleeping with his interns That's and Clive. says uh, yeah. Do you,
2: no, do
1: you have, do, wait, yeah, not wait, not yet. I was gonna do that oh, no. one. <laughs> okay.
2: Um,
1: he says it to the uh, he says something rude to the other guy. Um, and then he starts like Clive and his intern are laughing and then he goes, um, that's when he says the line that you're about to say. So you can say it now.
0: You can say it if you want
1: to. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I forget the exact wording.
0: Uh, he he goes, uh, do you have enough plan B for your intern? And uh, or something along those lines. Like, oh, do you have enough plan B stacked up for your for your intern that you sleep with? And then he they're like, oh, and they gasp and he, they rush him out and he enters to the street. And then his intern turns to Clive and goes, I'm on neuvering <laughs> 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 And I fucking lost it at that. That was too funny.
1: Um And then the show kind of like finishes up Clive and the intern are like cleaning up after the show. And then she says that she wants to say the name and he's like, Nope, we're not doing that. And then she like attaches herself to him with like a hook on his pants and was like, say it with me. And then they start saying it. And there's something about, Oh, he said, you can say it after we have sex. um And then she's like, No, I'm saying it now. And then he said something creepy about um, necrophilia. It's a weird scene. It's a weird scene. (laughs) And then she starts saying it, and they say it together. And then once she says, like, he's, like, kissing her neck while she's saying it. And she sees, I think she sees him. Does she see him or just feel it?
2: It's very quick, so you can't really tell.
1: Okay. All of a sudden, there's, like, a hook in her throat and her throat's being sliced and he's like what the fuck and like slowly realizes like is this real what's happening oh my god and like is freaking out and like lays her down and she's like dying and then um he kind of like hears a noise or like looks up and he kind of sees like the oh he watches the projector get cut and the mirror And, like, could see that there's a hook going across it, but doesn't see who's connected to it or anything. And then um, he catches, like, a shadow of Candyman. And then one of the things that I really like about this movie is that um, Candyman's invisible. Um, I've definitely said it five times. Anyways, um, that he's invisible and that he um, is, like... You could only see him in mirrors, and when he's doing the actual action, there's a lot of scenes where you just see the person being killed, but you don't see what's killing them, and I think that that's really cool, Um, and I really enjoyed that element. So you kind of have that moment with Clive where he's being murdered um, and getting cut up and all the stuff, and then they leave his body there.
0: Yeah, uh, I think it, I, I like the the mirror aspect too, and they always find a way of showing Candyman through a mirror or a reflection in some way. That's pretty creative. Um, there's not a lot of like fanfare though. They they really are just like really quick murders. Like it's mm-hmm. just brutal, uh, gory. There's not you know a lot of show to it. They're just quick cut downs.
2: I kind of disagree um, with that because so a little a little before like Clive does see Candyman, but he sees him in the mirror. And then yes. he looks to the side and notices that the projector's being cut, but you can't see in IRL what's happening, but in the mirror you can. So here we kind of see for the first time in reality that Candyman only seems to exist within a reflection, but what he does actually, what, any action he does actually does occur within real space and time. So that kind of is where we now learn a bit more as to how Candyman in this movie operates. Very different from the first one. Personally, I hate it. But Clive's death, when he's running to the door and trying to escape and can't open the door, um, we see his, I'm assuming because we don't really see anything, his ankle gets kind of cut, like, broken. And then he gets pulled by both of his legs and dragged from the doorway over back to the intern's body. And then he gets lifted up. And again, we don't see this until we get a shot of the mirror. And in the mirror, we can see the silhouette of um, Sherman um, holding him. (laughs) And that is how he dies. It is pretty bloody, but I do think that Clive's death was a bit more intense than the intern's. But she did get her neck spliced. And we do get a really great shot for a few seconds of... You know, the neck wound and the blood everywhere, and she's still alive in that particular shot, so her eyes are uh-huh, still so open. Yeah. So I, I do want to say that, you know, it was pretty quick, and I, I don't necessarily think it was scary or disturbing, but it was a pretty good shot in terms of including some form of, not even gore, but just violence, I guess. I think that might be one of the only kills that I can probably get a bit bit of credit to, saying I kind of liked it. But I think that whole invisible thing is pure garbage. I fucking hate that shit. I think it's so cheap and I think it's so stupid. And I fucking hated it. I,
0: I don't think that Sherman has the Tony Todd visage and presence to carry a like be my victim as, or like a, a more theatrical kill. And I think that sh- it's interesting that Sherman definitely has like a different mo. He's I think I'd say he's more efficient and less theatrical. And I, I, it's hard not to do this without talking about other stuff too. Yeah. but yeah, I I, I we'll agree that I We'll come back to this feel... obviously
2: because it's part of one of the things yeah. that I really dislike about this movie, and it goes back to inconsistency. But yeah, I, I fucking hate. I hated it. I thought it was so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and there's more of this throughout the movie, so we'll we'll be we'll touch on this more. But yeah, we can't really talk too much about this without everything else. But getting ahead
0: of ourselves. Yeah, a little yeah, bit, yeah. So the next morning. Brianna comes in and finds the bodies of Clive. Turn it makes the news and they, they really get over it really quick. <laughs> they don't they, they really talk about it all too much after and life continues. <laughs> it's a scene where Anthony's watching the news reporting on the deaths of Clive and the intern. And they mention that they were found in front of Anthony's piece, Say His Name. And he kind of grins and is like, oh, they, they said the name of my thing. And everyone's immediately like, it's pretty gross, dude. They'd be happy that they said your name while reporting on the death of two human beings that were like brutally murdered but regardless he kind of is happy about that he goes to the library and he finds recordings from the first movie talking about uh helen's work on Candyman. um and then we he goes into a mirror uh, elevator with a terrible design where like it's mirrors all around this goddamn elevator it's I would not want to be in that elevator and see myself from every fucking angle. (laughs) (laughs) So he's in this elevator and then he gets um, glimpses of Candyman while he's in here. uh, Sherman's Candyman in particular. And I really like some of the designs for Sherman where his face is beat up really bad. And he has kind of like a wheeze to Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. He He has like this wheezy offsetting breathing and overall he's just a very different candy man he's much more menacing i think he's he's much less theatrical like i said and he's much more brutal and it, it feels like a completely different element and you know it's a typical horror movie trope of when he reaches the bottom floor the students are at the entrance of the elevator and he's like cowering on the floor apparently at nothing you know but this is when we really start getting oh and then i should also mention at this point you can really see that the bee sting on Anthony's hand is getting grody. Uh, it's oh. it's really kind of spreading all throughout towards his wrist now and whatnot.
1: Yes. It looks like Dumbledore's hand in the sixth film.
0: Oh, there it is that we need We need a sound or like some kind of button to press when, when the Harry Potter <laughs> reference is triggered. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'd also like to include that he's listening to the tape of, um, Oh my god, I totally blanked out her name. Lyle, Helen Lyle. So when he went to the library was to get research, whatever little he could find about Helen Lyle and her case. And he's listening to her recording. So in the first movie, if you remember, there's like a session she does with, um, I don't know if it was Anne-Marie. Oh no, it was Ruthie Jean. They were talking about Ruthie Mm -hmm. Jean. And the recording session, she's listening to that but also just her explaining Candyman and the significance of him on a social level. It's not super like philosophical, but it's basically just her explaining kind of what she's doing for her thesis to herself on record. I'm assuming for her to like write later. Um, And I, I try to make a note of what line, oh, she's explaining the fact of how scary it is to be haunted by something that you can only see in your reflection. The feeling of like someone looking at you, but no one else can really see it but you. And that is when Mm -hmm. there's a glitch in the elevator. And I think that overlapping this is really, really cool. That elevator scene is one of my favorites of the movie, um, Mm -hmm. only because I thought it was done really well. I think playing with mirrors... Jordan Peele has done that before in Us, and I think he did it very well. And I think doing it again in this movie really highlights you know, a sort of specialty of his when it comes to using mirrors in a very horror-centered way. And I think looking beside you and seeing only copies of yourself and then looking up, which is what happens to Anthony, he looks up and Sherman is up on the very top of the elevator and then the lights flickering and everything, that I think was a very effective um, scare. It wasn't a jump scare, because i hate jump scares and they're stupid but i think it's more so using elements that are confusing and disorienting and using it very well so i really like this scene
0: interesting i got much less significance from the scene i didn't dislike it but it was like a kind of like an unimportant one for me but i see what yeah. you're saying and like yeah so like i'm I'm glad you got that out of that mm-hmm. anthony goes home real inspired now and he's now continuing to listen to the tape the tapes and is um Painting with like a fervor now, I would say. Yeah. Is that my using that correctly? Yeah. Like yeah. he he's a man on a mission now. He's wearing a like all painting coveralls and they're absolutely covered in paint because he's just going to town painting on multiple large canvases. Um, I don't think Brianna sees them yet. I think first he goes to the art critic's house, correct?
2: Yeah, he goes to Brianna afterwards and says that he's going out, and she is kind of like in a um. mood because the night before. It's a small scene, but she was having a nightmare because she's the one that found the bodies of Clive and in the intern, but it shifts to a portion of her background where her father essentially was an artist who committed suicide and she was there when he did it. So when she wakes up after that nightmare, remembering those kind of that flashes of that scene of her past... She sees Anthony standing by the sink, just staring at nothing with the water running, which also I would have beaten his ass because that's so much fucking water he's wasting. That water bowl must be insane. <laughs> but anyway. She's Not how like, creepy
1: it was just because he's wasting water.
2: Yeah, it's pretty wasteful. But she's kind of like in a mood. So when he goes to her and tells her that um, he's going out, she mentions that they have a dinner later tonight with someone who's coming in from New York and it's really important for her. And she doesn't want him to mess it up for her, and so he says that he'll be there. I guess I don't. I don't think he ever actually responds to her, but it shifts to like him being at the art critic's house. Yeah,
0: and um she's interviewing him primarily about like the murders. It seems like she's not very interested in his work and more about his perspective on like if it's connected or whatever. And he even makes a comment. He's like, "Wow, I didn't think you were a fan of my work last night." And she's like, "Oh, I." changed my tune you know now that people there's going to be eyes on this goddamn article that i write and then i think anthony really sees through it as like she knows she'll make some money off of this article because it's a hot topic and she doesn't give a shit she doesn't respect him and he goes if you really respect my art or if you really want to feel involved you should go and say the name so she goes to the bathroom she's going to the bathroom anyway but he's like seriously i dare you say the name so she goes into the bathroom. You don't really see what she does. She, like, walks up to the mirror. She stares at it. And it kind of looks like she's just about to open her mouth. And then it cuts back to Anthony. And I thought that was a really cool shot. Like, you, you get the sense that she's going to do it. But you're not quite sure if she's going to. Uh-huh. And then it cuts back to Anthony, who's now picking at his hand. Which is getting more and more disgusting. And he's starting to pull up, like, a large piece of flesh out of his hand. And he it doesn't look good. So he goes and gets something to wrap his hand up. And then starts... Having hallucinations once again, where he sees the Sherman candyman in the mirror in his exact place, so they do kind of the mirror reflection thing where if he reaches his hand out, candyman in the mirror puts his hand out and' this, this symmetry kind of the uh the sharing of the same that they're a, a similar entity if not becoming the same, the same yeah. person, and it's like very it, it's a cool scene, and I think we really get to see a lot of the Sherman candyman design there, which i I do like I prefer. The Tony Todd take, I feel like a broken record. I prefer the Tony Todd take on it, but with it being a different character, I do like the interpretation. I would have been a lot more pissed off if we went and saw a Candyman remake where that was Tony Todd's same Candyman character Mm -hmm. that they have redone as this wheezy, beaten Candyman. I wouldn't have liked that interpretation, but with it being a different character, I do think that it is a cool design and it is a cool take on Candyman and a more serious, less gothic theatrical Candyman can work as like a separate character but um i think it's an interesting scene and then he's kind of freaking out in the mirror and then of course the film critic or the film critic the art critic comes out of the bathroom and sees anthony kind of like freaking out in her hallway the hell's going on <laughs> what are you doing and he's, i gotta go i gotta go bursts out of there it does this awesome zoom out of the apartment through the window of the exterior building, and you kind of see the critic pacing throughout the apartment. It keeps pulling out, and you can see everyone else's apartments through the windows. And then, without any sound, without any audio, you see the critic be lifted by like an invisible force. It ha- gets sl- cut, I think, on the throat or in some way, mm-hmm. and gets pushed up against the glass, and blood smears all across. And that's my favorite kill of the movie, just from how it was yeah. shot from. An artistic point of view i thought that was really fucking cool but before we you know discuss the scene a little bit more this also clips into the kind of similar theme of the first movie of it looks like our innocent character wherever they go someone's dead Mm -hmm. and uh, i kind of like that that theme of it uh that it it was kind of keeping that because it really does i don't think they really any ever go anywhere with that but it does look like anthony could have been responsible for that but i'm not sure they ever Mm -hmm. they ever play that card which is interesting now in hindsight thinking because i thought it was an obvious layup for having the police at anthony's apartment that night Uh
2: kind of at the end sort of
1: yeah they definitely say that they're looking for him but oh that's right that's um
2: that's yeah it's pretty minor it's not in the same way that the original had it sort of uh
1: set up like a highlight main focus on the original
0: so thoughts on the the hallway mirror and art critic death?
1: I really enjoyed that scene. I think it's also my favorite death. I thought that that was really cool. That's where the invisibleness to me was like, oh, this is dope. This is a really cool thing.
2: I'm going to rave about the mirror scene because I really like the mirror scene. Um, That's probably one of, well, I have three favorites scenes of the movie. And the first one was the elevator and this is going to be the second one. I really, really liked this scene just because we see Anthony and his reflection is, um, Sherman. And that to me is just incredible in the way that the movements were played. Um, he lifts his hand, Sherman lifts his hand and his arm, this is where we see reflection of himself, his arm that has like the scabbing and where he got stung is the same arm that Sherman has reflected back at him, obviously juxtaposed of the hook. So he sort of sees himself and Sherman in himself. And uh-huh. to me, it's just, it's such a cool and like eerie scene to kind of see that comparison and having the movements mimic each other so well. And, you know, it's it was just really, really cool to watch. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was CGI um, to get the movements look the way they did. But I think it's really the first time we see, not only not just Candyman in the mirror as I wrote I don't want to say Candyman Sherman in the mirror <laughs> being obviously reflected in himself but also Anthony on the other side being what is reflected I think up until now we've had moments and I believe this was back when Clive was getting killed um Anthony's staring into the mirror and he sees a bee but the bee is behind the mirror so when he uh-huh. reaches his finger out to touch it we can see that the bee is coming somehow from behind his mirror in some sort of reflection. Now, to be honest, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I think it kind of ties into this scene where Anthony isn't seeing himself, he's seeing Sherman. And I think kind of implies a sort of connection, which we obviously kind of know, but I think it kind of strengthens that connection that we've kind of seen a bit throughout the rest of the movie up until now. And having them mimic each other gives a bit of foreshadowing to what's going to happen in the rest of the movie. And I think it's a very very clever and really cool well done scene. As for the critic's death scene, I hated it. I thought it was stupid. Um I don't like <laughs> the invisible thing. I don't think it's I, I don't like it.
0: But it was the coolest use of the invisible thing in the whole movie. I don't know. like. You didn't think the scene where they're pulling out through the windows and you see all the insides of all the apartments and the silent death. You didn't think that was cool? No. But the elevator was cool? I, yeah. I I gotta disagree with you here. I just I gotta something about with you seeing here.
2: someone float and get killed, but you see nothing about it is just like really lame to me. Like It's the same
0: as Freddy Krueger. It's like literally this the scenes from Nightmare.
2: But those are done so much better. Like the gore level on that makes up for the fact that the invisible thing is so lame to me. Like I and I don't know, I think it's because a lot of, like, movies now, like the James Wan movies, implement that exact same sort of, like, uh. approach when it's like, oh, they're getting lifted by a demonic force and they're being twisted. And that's just so lame to me. Like, I would rather, like, in the first one, all the kills we see are, for the most part, Candyman. And you see it. but I mean, we don't see it, but it's implied. I'd rather have that implication of, like, ooh, he killed them. Ooh. Like, for me, if you're going to make him gut someone... I wanna fucking see that. I don't wanna see oh my gosh, it's happening out of thin air. That's just so I don't know, it's just lame to me. It it took away a lot of what I thought a really cool kill would be and it just made it kind of like cheap and lame. So I d I didn't like that scene in particular. But the pull out I guess to seeing the rest of the skyscraper, I think the only thing I would note from that, and I don't even know if that's a hundred percent correct, but from looking at the hallway that Anthony goes into it kind of reminds me a bit of Cabrini-Green from the first movie, the kind of setup uh-huh. of the hallway. And I think it's supposed to be implied that the skyscraper that the critic is living in is obviously also part of Cabrini-Green. So it has a similar setup, even in the interior. um, The hallway, the sitting room, kind of reminds me a little bit of the opening of the beginning in the first movie. I don't know if a 100% true, if they really redid the layout to kind of mimic that of the first movie that might be incorrect, but that's Probably the only, like, thing I got from that was, oh, she's in the skyscrapers. Oh, that probably was just where Cabrini Green was. Just, like, everyone else's. Oh, cool. That's all I got from that scene, to be honest. I don't think it was pretty. For me, it just wasn't. I, I didn't like it. <laughs> I, I can see not digging the
0: invisible stuff. Like, we'll go into the bathroom killings later, and those are pretty lame Yeah, yeah. overall. Like, those are those are pretty weak. And I can see how the invisibility there is just, like, not fun. And I can even understand the gripes with the invisibility. I just think that's, like, the one invisibility kill that that worked. Mm. (laughs) Like, I think it's just, like, it's more not me defending the invisibility as much as, like, that one instance of it I particularly Mm -hmm. liked. Also, the invisibility thing isn't something that's necessarily new. It's implied that that's how it works in in the original Candyman as well. But the original Candyman shows candy man doing the kills because you're seeing it through helen's perspective but to anybody else it would look like the yeah. way it looks in this movie right I- i'm just i'm just specifying uh, making sure
2: I, that that's, that's kind that's, that's of what i figured works, I guess that's right? that's yeah yeah but we never really we don't really know if it's helen doing it herself or if it's in that way that she yeah. only sees him and it's like an invisible entity but either way we don't see that invisibility in it so that's still kind of you know it's it's still open air into how they actually would look outside of helen's perspective
0: yeah whether or not helen carries the hook and and it's an interesting an interesting part of that um we're heating up here right we're we're moving forward i want to glaze over a couple parts that i feel we could get stuck on that we really don't have Mm -hmm. to brianna comes home and sees anthony's paintings and he has painted Oh, no, he goes back
1: to the laundromat, right? Yeah. He, they go and to, says that the, he thinks he's turning into candy Candyman. It's the dinner. Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah, they have the dinner first. He goes to the dinner that night with Brianna and the other people. Long story short, it's for her career. They yeah. all get a text message about um, the fact that the critic was found by her husband dead. And Anthony leaves, which I, it's a really weird and awkward scene. But he leaves and she's like, Anthony. And then that's when she goes home and sees the paintings
0: he, he is but doesn't there a trip to the laundromat before this that really expressed that there have been multiple candy Men, or is that That's the same right now laundromat or earlier he, yeah
1: that's where he goes before she comes home
0: yes yes okay good so he goes to the laundromat and speaks to William again this time but this time it's a lot less like speaking legends and it's like what the fuck is happening um and this is when William describes that there have been multiple Candy Men, and they're all somewhat similar. And they are kind of an, an entity, a single entity that it, it's kind of like a vengeful entity that exists for when. I guess I'm trying to find the the best phrasing for it. For I don't want to say revenge. How, what's the best way you would describe that? Um, uh, it's like an entity that exists for in, in in injustice in the black community. I mean, is that yeah?
2: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> kind and, and of, that there's,
0: and that there has been many people that have been killed wrongfully that have that is returned as Candyman, and he specifically says that there's Sherman Candyman. He lists a couple others, and then he he mentions the very first Candyman uh, back in 1890. That was Daniel Robitaille. And he tells the exact story through the same puppet things as earlier of Daniel Robotok Candyman, the whole artist that fell in love with one of his uh client's daughters. They get uh they she gets pregnant, he gets hunted down, arm cut off, smeared in honey, beasting him to death. Um I love that that's my favorite puppet scene, personally. Um something about how they show the rib cage mm-hmm. on the Tony Todd. Puppet is so fucking cool to me.
2: Oh, I agree that that's it was really cool. The puppets, I think, were a really nice little detail. I also like about it. Mm-hmm. I really, I really did like it. Yeah, it was, it, it was good. It's a cool form of storytelling um that I think they did within a movie itself, which I think is also kind of like pretty cool. Um, but no, I I really did like it. The ribs, honestly, were, like, a cute little touch, too. Not cute, obviously, because he was being murdered. (laughs) But (laughs) cute in the sense that, I like, they paid homage to the accuracy of the first movie when he has, like, the bees on his ribs.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I was gonna say you didn't need to... You didn't need to specify that they was cute, as in not the ribs were attractive, but you know, as like a like <laughs> little details. I just wanted to make but sure. You, but but as Kim, you you that. Yes. As <laughs> as you're Kim. the one person. You're the one person that needs to <laughs> say outright. <that> you <laughs> I, don't think I just want I can't
2: be clear. I don't mean cute, I mean, like <laughs> adorable. I mean cute as in like kind of sus. But well done.
0: so now um this is the part i kind of want to gloss over just because i don't think it has that much plot relevance in the end that brianna comes home and is kind of like trying to figure out what's going on with anthony and she sees these awesome giant paintings that he has made for like each of the candy men Mm -hmm. um i love those paintings i want one (laughs) i thought they were really fucking sick but um she's like oh this is ridiculous i'm done i'm gonna go say candyman in the mirror and then he starts breaking all the mirrors because he doesn't want her to do that clearly because he he's fully aware that the legend's real and then she you know he's smashing shit in her apartment and everything so she basically kicks him out or no she leaves and goes and visits troy but they have like this relationship turmoil where they separate that it really doesn't affect the rest of the movie (laughs) like it, it, it might as well not have happened Um, yeah right like because at the end she comes up with him and is still like in love with him she's not mad or anything it's it's basically the same shit the only um thing is when she returns to the apartment to get her stuff she sees the pen that anthony took from the laundromat and that cues her in to go to the laundromat and that's like basically why that plot point exists (laughs) should also mention at this point that the bee sting is now basically taking over the right side of his body
1: Oh, this is what happened. Okay, I remembered.
0: (laughs) And then, I don't want to necessarily... If someone else could take this scene, that'd be great, but... So, yeah. Anthony goes back to visit his mother. Okay,
1: yeah. Um, So, we see him walking down a hallway, very similar to the hallway he walked down for the critic, and I think that that was really interesting to, like, watch him... I don't know. I thought it was, like, an interesting detail that they have him walking down these hallways, just very much, like... What do these hallways look like? Where are we going? Kind of questioning. And then his mom opens the door. And that's when I was like, oh, shit. Because his mom is the same woman that you see in the first movie who has a baby who gets kidnapped. And then I was like, oh, shit. This is Anthony. And then she, oh, he goes to the doctor. This is what happens. Shit. Good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah so he goes to the doctor and he's like covered in this bee stings covering his body like half of his body and they're like we're glad you came in um and welcome back and he's like welcome back and they're like yeah you were born in this hospital and he's like i wasn't born in this hospital i was born on the south side and they're like no right here it says like you were born in this hospital so he goes to his mom's house and he's like why didn't you tell me I was born in this hospital? And like, why didn't you tell? And she's like, yeah, you woke, you grew up for the first three years in Caprini green. And, um, he's like, so, and that's kind of where you get all the dots where it's like, he was the baby that was kidnapped and that, um, the mom had thought she's like, I really thought it was Helen. I really thought she did it. And then after she had like crawled out of the fire with you, I was like, Oh, no, it's not her, like, it's Candyman, but I thought that he had died in the fire, so I thought it was fine. He's, like, all pissed at his mom and very upset, and then, like, storms off and leaves and goes back to Cabrini-Green, and when he gets there, I feel like it's just, like, a door pops open and a light's open,
2: and he walks in there.
1: I thought it was a
0: gunshot at first.
2: So, it's, watching now, it's very much a foreshadowing, which is actually really interesting to me. It's almost like a looping of time, which I feel so fucking cool. Also, I would like to point out, um, in the discussion with Anne-Marie and Anthony, very emotional, by the way. um, Yeah, She's a very great actress. um, She does point out that the community made a pact that no one would ever say Candyman's name. The legend would die Uh, that night. And the only reason this is happening again is because someone broke that pact. And I like that it kind of ties back at the end scene of the first movie when the community comes together to Helen's funeral to toss in the hook and flowers, I guess. I suppose that was some kind of symbolism of unity between the community. And now we get that a bit more fleshed out in terms of they all came together and decided to basically kill that legend by never saying his name again, which in the original we know he lives through words and whispers, and so that power uh-huh. that he had, the community themselves came together to destroy. And now the only reason he's back is because somebody broke that pact and gave him back that power. That's very important. And yet, yeah, the it is it is a foreshadowing of looking like flashes of light and like sound, and very much is gunshots to so the left yeah. side of him.
1: Okay and then he like walks towards it and then you cut to um the girlfriend brianna Brianna, Brianna. which i don't remember what she's doing at this point i don't know if that's when you got the pen
0: yeah she's going to the laundromat following oh
1: yes because the pen has the name of
0: the laundromat on it and probably an address Mm -hmm. did you want to keep going from here kim sure
2: so she goes into the laundromat, and she goes towards the back. She sees Anthony's um beanie, which <laughs> this man wears that beanie and those maroon skinny jeans. I'm like, who chose this man's outfit? I'm just saying. <laughs> I wanted to really heavily imply that he's, like, an artist. Artist, like, yeah. just like that. I'm like, that's so 2004, but whatever. Anyway, his maroon beanie is chilling on the table in the back, and he sees it. She goes to open one of the doors that I'm assuming leads to an office. It's locked. She opens another second door next to it, and it leads down like this dark stairway. And, of course, her being the smart bitch that she is says, nah, closes that door, turns around, (laughs) and goes to head out. But the moment that she first came in and the door closed behind her, we hear, but she doesn't. A lock, a click. Yeah. Implied that the door locked itself as it closed. Or didn't lock itself, a.k.a. someone might have locked it. Um. So when she goes to leave and she tries opening the door, it won't budge. And she starts banging on the door because there is a customer on the other side with her AirPods on, listening to music as she's loading <laughs> up um her washing machine, loading her clothes. And from that shot of, you know, the customer's face... Brianna in the background through that clear door. We see someone come behind her, grab her, lift her, and drag her away. And then, obviously, the customer turns around and there's no one there. Love it. Great shot. It's, like, Black. When we we come to terms of what's going on, the same way Brianna does, she kind of, we look at her face, she's opening her eyes, Um, and she's now in a chapel. And we see Anthony sitting with his back facing Brianna all the way at the front of the chapel where the altar would typically be facing a big mural I don't quite remember what the mural was but it's religious I'm assuming because it's a chapel um and then Burke comes from the side and kind of starts speaking about when blood is spilt it leaves it's like taints things it leaves an essence behind i'm paraphrasing of course mm, and yeah. that it, it lingers it never really goes away and it's an interesting speech but it very much is a bit on like the crazy side where he's yeah. just kind of like preaching to himself and brianna is like tied up trying to talk to anthony anthony's not really moving burke is doing his own little like Shakespearean monologue to himself. Great speech, but just very much like on the creepy factor. And I want to point out that the actor Coleman um, Domingo has a very nice voice. So when he's giving Uh his lines, it's done so well and so clear. I just, I just, I could listen to him ramble on forever because he has such a nice voice. (laughs) Um, And Burke turns Anthony around, and we now see that Anthony, all on his right side, he's covered in those kind of like lesions that we saw that were on his arm from the bee sting, and now his eye is like milky, almost I'm assuming, implying that he's blind or there's something Uh wrong with that eye. Um and Burke is explaining that, you know, he we always knew that the baby would come back, implying that, you know, knowing he knew that Anthony was the baby from the first movie because of his last name, McCoy. Um, And that the baby would always return and be reunited with Candyman in perfect symmetry, which as we know, half of his body is covered with those lesions and the other half isn't. It's it's like a pockmark almost.
0: It almost yeah. looks like bugs
2: could crawl could crawl through
0: it. It looks like bees could use a
2: like honeycomb honeycomb's almost. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but like too small to be honeycomb. But I I was gonna say the same thing, but it's like honeycomb is like the big like hexagons yeah, and these like are like indentions. very small little dots. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah.
2: And um Burke kind of goes into the facts. I'm I'm pretty sure it's during this whole monologue that he um talks about that. We kind of get a flashback to when Burke was younger afterwards, and he's fighting with his sister. And it's a really small scene, but his sister does the whole Candyman thing. Sherman appears to his sister in the bathroom and kills her. And that is when Burke sees Sherman's spirit for the first time afterwards. And it's kind of implying that ever since then, he's always kind of been... I suppose attached to him or wanting to see him Mm -hmm. or wanting to bring that back or that sort of tethering to the Sherman spirit as Candyman that he saw in that bathroom is kind of the jumpstart of why he is where he is right now. I'm going to be honest. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but we'll get back to that. And so Burke brings Anthony over, sits him down. Essentially he makes a phone call. That's what I was missing. He makes a phone call while Brianna was um, still barely waking up, to the police saying that um, Anthony McCoy is running around, that he's crazy, that he has a hook on his arm, and that he's killing people, and he needs them to come to Caprini Green because that's where he saw him wandering around. We kind of oh. that kind of gets set to the back burner for a little while. Like we hear it, but everything else that Brooklyn yeah. is revealing now is kind of taking center stage. So he's basically implying that he's setting up Anthony to take the fall because there needs to be a new Candyman, man, a, a new, new generation, someone to take on the mantle. So he reaches his arm out, cuts through it, severs his arm off, and through that, Anthony is kind of in this, like, catatonic state where we hear him kind of grunt, but he makes no movement to defend himself. He makes barely any sort of, like, eye contact, or, you know, there's there's a kind of a glaze over hysteric, but he does let one sickle tear out. And, um, then he opens up this, like, case where there's, like, a hook. And he does say that it's unnecessary, but he wants it for, like, the image, for the aesthetic. Takes out... Yeah, he,
0: I I like that line a whole he's lot. He's very He's funny. like, something like, some should stay the same, or, like, uh, there are some traditions that should be upheld, <laughs> and then he shoves the... the and I, I love that, because that was... When they brought up the concept of multiple candy men, one of the first things I I had was like, Oh, they all happen to have the same fashion sense and a hook for a hand. Yeah. Um I, I would have loved to see if there maybe wasn't there was a candy man that wasn't missing a hand, but just used like a hook, kinda like I know what you did last summer, like as thing, mm-hmm. you know. But I I don't think they ever I, I would have I'd be interested to see the other candy men more in da- depth.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And um he grabs that hook and just like pushes it into the stump of anthony's arm and i do want to say that is an incredible gory scene and i really mm-hmm. fucked that scene i think the blood falling was great i think this is what i mean like seeing something happen has much more of an impact than like an implication yeah. or an I, invisible I just thing doing we- it you know what i mean
0: yeah, uh, totally. Speaking of invisible things, I just realized we didn't cover the the school, the four people <laughs> murdered at the school. Um, I don't, let's not. Yeah, yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> it's dumb. There's four. There's four murders from some teenagers saying Candyman in the mirror five times, and they all die off screen, and like there's just implied blood. It, it's not great. It's anyway. just. Yeah. It's just
2: a t- teenager from the art show in the beginning doing it again with her friends, and it honestly was just to add more kills to the movie. So yeah, yeah, it was. It was okay. It wasn't anything spectacular. It wasn't great. They don't really matter at the end of the day. Um, Inconsequential. (laughs) um, And then he ties the arm, obviously, with the hook, obviously, so it doesn't bleed out. And then stands him up and puts on, like, a jacket very similar to Sherman's jacket. And then takes out these, like, lollipops. And he's like, all right, it's time for the sacrifice. And all through this, um, Brianna had, like, I believe it's, like, a box cutter or something in her back pocket. She has the pen.
1: It's the pen. It's the pen, yeah. Yeah.
2: And she cuts through the rope and she's able to... I'm pretty sure, okay, um, she cuts through the rope and she is able to run an escape. And Sherman... I mean, Sherman. Burke, the only reason she really wants him is because she he wants a witness. Someone to, again, spread the word and say what happened. And so seeing her leave, to him, she's an important element to the ritual of what he's doing. So he goes after her. And this is another really great scene. Probably one of my other third favorite Um, of the tunnel scene where she's running in this like dark almost like tunnel where she's trying to find the way out because they're like in the basement of the chapel I believe or she went under like towards the basement to find her way out and she only really has I believe it's like her phone that she's trying to keep the light on and we hear again Coleman Domingo's voice is so fucking cool we hear his voice kind of echoing, almost sing songy along the wall as he's coming after her, her heavy breathing. And I think, again, using darkness and using, we know that she's in a very tight and closed space really brings a lot of tension. And that's why I really like that scene because you can feel the sort of like anxiety that's coming off in that moment. She's like stopping on one point. And then he attacks her. She's like he's like right in front of her, attacks her, they scuffle, she drops a light, we hear the noise, she's able to like run away, she gets out through the basement and double doors of the basement, and then right away she runs into the door right next to it and closes it. So when Burke comes out, he only hears silence. But of course, Burke being Burke knows kind of where she's at, opens a door, comes inside, and um he's speaking. I don't quite remember what exactly it is that he's saying. But he's going all the way inside one of the empty, I believe it's one of the empty projects, and just kind of walking around trying to find her. And she was hiding in the back corner, back where the door was. So she lifts something where she was going to use to hit him over the head, but it it ends up being a bit too heavy. And so it kind of falls back, and her momentum falls backwards. He comes at her, and she uses... This is why I thought it was a box cutter, because she starts... She stabs him. It's the the pen,
0: yeah. It's the pen repeatedly, yeah.
2: Oh, okay. I think it's in the eye. Yeah, she hits him in the eye, and then she continues to, like, stab at him as he falls. And it's a really great scene of Brianna just, like, going at him, like, stabbing him over and over and over and over again. And then from behind, um, we hear Anthony show up and say, I think he's dead. First time he's spoken since, you now he got his fucking arm cut off. But great to know that he can still fucking talk. And she, like, turns around defensively, has uh, the pen, I guess, um, out to him. As he comes closer, it goes against his neck. But he falls to the ground, obviously, because he just got his fucking arm cut off. So he's definitely losing <laughs> blood. And his body is, like, dying. It's basically decaying from what we can see. So she's, like, holding him trying to keep him awake. She hears the police approach, the sirens, and we see the lights from outside the window. And she's telling him, like, you're going to be fine. We're going to get you help. Everything's going to be okay. And um, we see her yell, like, in here, trying to tell them that that's where they're at. And at this point, I'm going to set it up before I really say what happens. We see a silhouette. There's light coming from the outside, obviously from the cop cars. A silhouette of... A cop, obviously, his weapon drawn, um, pointing outwards as they do when they go into dark places, I guess. I don't know, I'm on a fucking cop. Um, raised as he's walking inside. We never see him, we just see a silhouette. And then we hear obviously like two I believe it's two or three gunshots. And at this yeah. point it's very disorienting because the lights of the uh-huh. cop cars are very fucking bright. And the yeah. gunshots are very fucking loud. And <laughs> It, like, grated my ears. Like, I fucking hate the sound of gunshots. So, I did not like that scene at all. And we go to Brianna's face where she's, like, honestly comes out of nowhere. Because the last thing we hear from her is her yelling, calling out for help. And then we just hear the, put your hands up. And the shots one, two, and three, maybe four times. I don't remember how much. And she's, like, in a shock. She starts, you know, patting herself, looking like, obviously, she thinks that she's the one that got shot. And you know touching around her chest trying to see and then she sees blood on her hands as she's going downwards and as of course you never see it we don't see the body again um but it is anthony who ends up getting shot even though he was like laying on the floor just fucking laying there i don't know what the fuck Uh this guy was thinking but she like looks up in horror at the cop and Um, it's a really, again, the lights are still bright. It's a really like, there's just silence. We just hear like quietness and then it shifts to, she's being taken out. Her hands are cuffed, being escorted out by two other cops and put into the back seat of one of the cars that came a few seconds later, all black car. And the cops are outside talking to each other. I'm assuming explaining what happened or whatever. She's sitting back there, obviously in a state of shock because Anthony's just been killed. I mean, granted, maybe the bleeding would have killed him, but goddamn, it wouldn't have been a gun. Um, So she's obviously in shock. And I believe he's he's probably the lead cop. I'm not quite sure what they call him. But he gets into that car, sits down, looks through her. And this is a great shot, too, where we're seeing his face or the top of his face through the rearview mirror, almost like through her perspective, as if he's talking to us. And it does shift from that back to her face every once in a while. And he he doesn't have a name, which is great, because I don't fucking like him. But um, <laughs> he says, like, oh, it's a, it's a shame what happened to your man in there. Like, do you want to talk about it? Anything you say will be helpful. And, of course, she she knows better. Like, we know. You don't fucking talk to a cop. Like, especially when you're fucking, am I being detained? Like, we know. We know our rights. We don't fucking talk to cops, ever. Um, So she's just sitting back there, like, quiet, trying to process what's going on. And the cop is like, well, you know, my man, she mentions the other fucking cop's name, we don't give a fuck about him. You know, it would have been a shame if he came in here, saw him up there, shot him to protect you, essentially. Why do you think something else happened? Like, essentially, he's basically baiting her into admitting that the other cop that shot Anthony did it in self-defense to protect her mm-hmm. because they had gotten a tip that they were looking for him and that he was killing people. And when she says nothing in response, he goes, well, what about if we painted as you were an accomplice? You were here with him and we killed him to detain him because he was attacking us. But you were also there because you were helping us. Go ahead. Before I continue.
0: He basically says there's two stories and one of them you held down the victims and the other one you were saved by my my Mm -hmm. cop. That was basically, like choose one, choose wisely.
2: Yeah. And sure, knowing, you know, you know how these things work in these situations. And he basically is like, you're going to go to jail for a long time. Um, they're never going to believe you. You're like, you're going to be convicted as a murderer, a co-conspirator to murder, essentially. And sure, knowing what the situation she's in, knowing how this looks, asks to see herself in the mirror. And of course, he's like, mm, what? And she's like, I'll talk if you let me see myself in the mirror. And he's like, no, because that is a very, like, insane request. (laughs) It is weird. (laughs) And she's like, I will say whatever you want if you let me see myself. And so, of course, he's like, well, fuck, I guess. So he turns the rear mirror to her. And now we see her eyes through the mirror. And she's, like, kind of gearing up. And she, as we know, we can already kind of anticipate, she says the name Candyman. She says it five times, and each time as she says it, there's more of, like, an almost kind of smile smirk to her yeah. face at, like, a confidence building as she says it. And, obviously, the cop is like, what the fuck? And through the perspective, again, through her seeing through the river mirror, through the actual, like, front of the car, front windshield, we see one of the cops that was investigating inside come out bloody don't see how it happens but he's coming out with blood coming out of his mouth and his chest and he's wounded the other cops raise their guns the ones that were outside and start shooting at things we don't really see it until it kind of pans over one of the mirrors and then Brianna turns her head so now it's, we're assuming we're kind of seeing it through everyone's perspective now not just Brianna's because we're getting a wider shot and we see essentially Anthony in his coat that we saw him last standing there and killing the three cops. And then one of them is really cool. He like tosses him to the car and it's like a bloody moment. See, that's what I like that. I'm seeing him do it. I think yeah. those kills yeah. are so much more powerful than if it was just some invisible thing by CGI throwing a body around. I think seeing it happen was so fucking cool.
0: Yeah, And the blo- And I think, mm-hmm. I think this scene also is a, like a, a, a sigh of relief. Like it it's, it to me i, I also want to say that anthony candyman resembles tony todd candyman way more than sherman candyman um he even kind of circles the car and does a very similar be my victim
2: yeah yeah psychic
0: deep voice monologue yeah. like the the theatrics the gothic aesthetic Definitely, like comes through as Anthony Candyman walks across, and it's almost like a like the king is back, like type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, know? like in my opinion, and that's what that's when I really felt better about a lot of the decisions that have been made because very clearly they knew what Candyman was about aesthetically. They were just making us wait to see it, and I get that. I I would have liked to see more of it, like absolutely. But that's when I was like, oh, no, they still understand what this is about. And I feel like I saw the birth of a new Candyman that is our Candyman rather than this intermediary one, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that scene is really, really quick where the cop that's in the car with Brianna obviously asks, like, who are you? And again, we get that voice and he's saying, I am the whispers in the wind or I'm the writing on the wall. Very much from the first movie. Really well done. I believe that is his actual voice. Obviously bar and like, you know, changed a bit. But it's a really great effect. Mm-hmm. And now, uh-huh. in that moment, we see Anthony's Candyman with bees on him. Um, uh-huh. Which we didn't really see on Sherman before. But this characterization mm-hmm. of Anthony does have bees buzzing all around. we hear the sound as he speaks. It's his voice lowered, very deep, very Todd, Tony Todd-esque. With the sound of bees in the background intermingled with his voice as he circles the car. And then we see him disappear for a bit. The doors unlock. The cop at the very front runs out, obviously with his gun raised. What the fuck is that going to do, but whatever. Runs out, goes around a (laughs) corner. Brianna's door opens by itself because she's still handcuffed. She gets out, walks towards where she hears the cop that had just run away struggling, goes there sees him being killed by someone We know it's anthony but really fucking cool probably the only scene that i will say is probably my favorite one for obvious reasons yeah um the cop is dead the person that we can assume is anthony is covered in all these bees it's super super cool looking he kind of raises himself like he's floating kind of um floats over towards her with his arms stretched out he did this before, during the um, art gallery scene as well, where he was kind of floating for a bit, almost like with his palms facing outwards. And then the beer mm-hmm. sort of clear from his face, and we see that it is our man, the king himself, Tony Todd. CGI did a beautiful job on him, because he looks just yeah. as good as he did in the first movie. Fucking phenomenal. They spent all their budget on that, as they should, because he looks really fucking <laughs> good. And... She's, like, staring at him, like, what the fuck is this guy? And all that he says is, tell everyone. And then more police are coming, obviously. And that's where it fucking ends. And holy shit, that ending is probably the only fucking thing I really, like, stan about this movie was that ending. And I think that's why I was a little bit more disappointed, because I love Tony Todd. But we'll we'll get into that in a second. But, yeah, that's how it ends. Well, the reason... Candyman takes anthony as a baby is to like
0: use his body right wasn't that wasn't that it no it goes or... back
2: into the story with um the Helen's pregnancy before, right because oh he was in that's love right with her and they had a baby so it was it was in turn like a representation of his family but at the yeah. end of day, it was just manipulation to kind of make her decide to be immortal with him it wasn't necessarily that he like cared for the child or wanted the child to be with them it was more so a manipulation tool to have her stay with him but it very much did tie into the whole familial aspect of his past but I don't think it was necessarily in terms that he wanted a successor but I guess you could interpret it because it is a bit loose in that sense so um, yeah, I, I don't think having Anthony, I don't think that plot line of Anthony being the baby coming back and being a successor is what irks me. I don't think that's a bad plot line. I think it's probably one of the most clever things they do in terms of writing this. Mm-hmm. It It is like an easy path. You know, what happened to the baby? We can just use that. But again, I don't think it was done badly. It's just... And we'll get to it. There's just a lot I feel uh, like plot-wise that intertwines with it that makes it kind of messy. I,
0: I love the idea that Tony Todd's Candyman died by, by to the hand of of Helen. Like Helen killed Tony Todd's Candyman, and through this series of events, Tony Todd's Candyman returns.
2: Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's like
0: it's like the rebirth of him. So yeah. I understand. I think it was a very creative way to have a remake and do a scarier more modern interpretation of Candyman that's not necessarily respectful to the Candyman that was, you know, the classic Candyman, the 92 Candyman that everybody thinks of. Um, I can understand how a lot of that might not work in a modern setting, and it would be so easy to do the modern reboot that's way more gritty and way more gross and lacks a lot of the nuance and goes for brutality and scary visuals of, like, his face being beaten and him wheezing, making wheezings in an elevator. They kind of got to have their cake and eat it too because people would shit and be like this is dumb if that was Candyman, you know like the, this new candy man that mm-hmm. barely resembles the old one if that is him you're kind of shitting on the legacy of the original you didn't quite get it that's not Candyman, and people would have been mad and i think they did it in such a way that allowed them to also include the other one and have that new Candyman make probably like the producers happy, you know, mm-hmm. and st- stuff like that too. But still respect the original and bring back the original, and hopefully leave it open to do another Tony Todd Candyman. Um, yeah, I I I hope so. Or I-, I think that's great. Or honestly, I would love to see Anthony Candyman because he gave me Tony Todd vibes in a way that I wish we had seen more of that Candyman. And like that is the biggest criticism of the movie I'll I'll give is there's not enough original stuff there's not if if the ritual happened and anthony was Candyman at like the halfway point i think the movie would be absolutely fucking incredible um just because he carries that mantle so much better than the sherman one and i don't think the sherman one's necessarily bad it's just so different it's it's just it's a it's a very different approach and I, I think it was I think it was smart. I think they got they they got to do a bit of everything and I think the feedback will come in and kind of determine where they move into like the next one, you know.
2: Yeah, also If they
0: plan on doing a next one.
2: Also, I forgot to mention him, but the actor who plays Sherman, Sherman Field, I found his last name in the movie. Um mm-hmm. it's played by Michael Hargrove and I think he mm-hmm. should get some recognition too because he Yeah. even though he didn't really have any lines, I think doing a character without lines is even harder, so I think he did a really good job with mm-hmm. that, too. I forgot to include him in the beginning, so my apologies.
0: Yeah, I just don't think he stands out very much. Like, he, he he's more of a visual threat than, it's funny because he's invisible through <laughs> a visual threat. but he's he's certainly much more imposing physically, because, I, I personally, like, I mean, Tony Todd's tall, but he you don't, he's not too imposing, in my opinion, you know, and I think it says a lot in the, fir- in the first movie when Helen sees Candyman, she doesn't scream. She doesn't yell. She doesn't run in terror. She stares in like a trance. She's hypnotized. Mm-hmm. She's he He's not that, you know, like he's not wheezy and scary and aesthetic. He's calming and different. And I, I just think the Sherman one was the exact opposite. Not to say it was bad. It was just it was different, you know?
2: Well, yeah, because, I mean, the storyline in the beginning, him going to Helen, was from very, like, romantic, you know, seductive, almost sort of approach, just because of their their destiny, the history of what, you know, the full circle that they were going into. I think him killing other people, I don't necessarily think he appeared appear to them in the exact same way, but, I mean, I definitely think Tony Todd's charm, for the uh, the character's charm, I should say, comes from Tony Todd. I think Candyman to me very much is Tony Todd's voice, his presence, his lines, just, just, and I, I think he is kind of imposing as much as he is like, I not want to say the word romantic, but um, yeah, I, I guess that's the best way I could say it. In the same way that he's scary, but it's not the same sort of fear. There's an appeal to him, which we talked like about alluring. In the Yeah. And I think that, that to me is, what Candyman is. And I think to everyone else that he's killed, it, we don't really see it because she was the only one who mattered to him in terms of finishing what he was starting. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of where I get a bit lost. In, there's just so much going on. So the concept of Candymen, because I didn't want to call them different Candy Mans because that makes no fucking sense. There's like, <laughs> there's not just Sherman, right? Like Burke lists so many other like names which in the end credits I should point out I I didn't stay for all of them just because I wanted to go home but um they show like more cut out scenes a little cut out characters of basically the other people that um Burke had mentioned when he was explaining you know it's not just Sherman Fields it's not just Danner Robotai, it's this man this person this person and we see little, like mini stories, almost of like the other people who are also included as Candyman throughout the years, like in the fifties, in the in the forties, in the thirties. So it's almost like this chain of individuals that are all sort of under the title of Candyman, but they are not Candyman. Does that make sense? They're they're all like under a specific title. They are they're all Candyman, but they only exist sort of minutely until the next candyman shows up, which to me it just it just doesn't make sense to me. I think that's where it loses I understand what they were doing. I, I understand their reasoning for making multiple candy men. It's just outside of it being a thematic thing and really looking into the logistics of how it works within the lore, it doesn't fucking make sense. And having that be a thing, and then also having For some fucking reason, Burke wanted Candyman to come back. I don't really understand his motivation, to be honest. It doesn't make fucking sense to me. So having Burke as the antagonist, having there be multiple Candyman, and then having Anthony be the baby from the first movie, it's just a lot, and they don't fucking make sense. Like, if it was just... Anthony's the baby. This whole thing was Candyman kinda of coming back, but not really because he wants to get Anthony because Anthony's gonna be the new candyman because of the first movie. Fuck it. Cohesive. That would've made fucking sense. But then throw in Burke, what the fuck is he doing? And then throw in all these different candy men, which doesn't even fucking make sense it's like think of it this way, right? T- like one of the candy men was like a child, so like Child Candyman, he he's, he gets, I think he gets, like, arrested, and then they put him on death row, and he gets killed, and therefore he gets, he becomes Candyman, and then it's someone else, and then it's Sherman. So once they're, like, what happens to Sherman? Now that Anthony is now Candyman, Yeah. what the fuck happens to Sherman? What happened to all the other Candymen before? Because now that, you know, Daniel uh, robotai is back now, technically... So then what the fuck happened to Anthony? He's gone now and Daniel Robitaille is here. So then what was the fucking point of having all these other Candymen if at the end of the day, it's still going to be Daniel Rovertie? Like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And I left confused even the second time because why would you include that as a piece of the plot but never fucking explain it? And that's my biggest well, gripe with it. They're going to have Candyman into the Candyverse. <laughs> <laughs> they all come together. <laughs> like, it'd be different if it was like I don't know, man. It just I understand it thematically. They wanted to ca- they wanted to characterize gener- generational trauma, and I understand yeah. the point of having multiple Candyman in a sense that look, this is a pattern. This doesn't just happen once; it happens multiple times. These injustices happen one after the other, and a trauma and a pain like that doesn't just disappear. It becomes part mm-hmm. of something greater. And that cycle of pain creates this sort of like chain of individuals who are united under this one sort of, you know, surname of Candyman. It's it's putting a face and stories into a pattern that is more than just numbers and data. It's giving them individual storylines and characterizations. I understand that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think I think it's clever to characterize generational trauma in that way. And I think really smart for Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta to really want to implement that. I think that's a really smart thing. I just, lore-wise, it doesn't make sense. And I just think they they bit more than they could chew, if that makes sense.
0: I think it goes to, like, Helen wasn't studying Candyman in the first one. She was studying urban legends, and that led her to Candyman. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that having an urban legend have many different origins is, is it, what an urban legend is. It gets told in different ways, and it changes, and it morphs over time. And I think it might even be left open to some interpretation that everyone's Candyman might look a little different. You know what I mean? Like, it still might be one entity. ...that shows itself in different ways. The Candyman could... ...appear... ...could be one Candyman... ...that appears differently... ...depending on the story that was told to them. That might not make a ton of sense... ...when Tony Todd shows up at the end... ...but I guess... ...Tony Todd would be anthony's Candyman in some way you know because it couldn't be him you know what i mean because he is the sherman one i i I agree that it is confusing and it is kind of odd but at the end of the day it's i don't think it's meant to hold all too much water you know it's a it's a teleporting man covered in bees um but yeah i i agree that it does it does get confusing and kind of all over the place in some ways but i think it was done in a way that allowed me to kind of just roll with it and enjoy it yeah i didn't think i was actively being like what you know what i mean like i wasn't mid-movie being like this makes no sense as much as it was kind of just done in a way that kept it interesting and kept it moving it might not hold water when you know thought about
1: i've been staring into a reflection this whole time
2: and <laughs> i literally have
1: because i'm sitting at molly's desk and her um oh, what's it called Like it's a computer, yeah. Her computer, her monitor, yeah. Her monitor. That's what I was waiting for. Is sitting in front of me, and it reflects me and Molly. And so I almost made a joke at one point that Molly's my (laughs) Candyman. Oh my god! (laughs) If we all have our own, it's Molly.
0: (laughs) I I think I think it's it's so vague that it doesn't break any of its own rules. Does that make sense? Like it it's like it never quite. It doesn't specify enough that you can objectively be like. Oh, this makes no sense. Because it, all of it's still open to interpretation. I really see sequel potential in this. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what they're going for, too. Um, in a lot of ways. I think... I don't think there are, like, five different candy men walking around at once. You know? I don't, I don't either.
1: Think... I think they, like, replace each other.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. And I do think that Tony Todd's Candyman was dead. And then came back via Anthony. In some way. But I think... That's the big problem with it is I feel like my interpretation of that is completely valid, but in no way accurate. And I don't think anybody would be, you know? Yeah. I don't think there is a correct answer necessarily.
1: I think that, like, it's interesting enough and easy enough to consume that I wasn't thinking about these questions and how it's confusing, which I think is like a pro of the movie. Or I'm just like a really lame viewer.
0: No, I think I think it was I think it was it was paced well, and it it moved forward in a in a way that I guess like quote unquote made sense. You know, like I, I felt like I was following it, and I was never like confused. Yeah, necessarily. Um, I don't know. I'm. I, I think at the end of the day, like kind of where I feel on it is, I really would have liked to see a more Tony Todd esque Candyman throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that that might have been like the the way to go in general. I do think there could be like studio pressures of like, you know, having Candyman show up and monologue for two minutes might be like, hmm, well, we're looking more for like a James Wan film. You know
2: what I mean? Yeah. Like
0: we're we're looking more for jump scares and murder. And then they're like, what if we redesigned him to have his face be all messed up because uh, Tony Todd's face is intact and he's handsome. Yeah, you know, and the idea of a more grotesque. Candyman they thought would fill seats more in the end and I kind of like while I hate that shit and that's the kind of shit that's ruining horror I understand that it's almost like needed in order for the, the big companies to give you the money to make your film yeah uh, and I think they did with that with needing to do that and like some and like this is all guess I'm not saying this happened or anything but I think they managed to somehow make this remake this subpar remake but include enough stuff in it that connects it to the original that I didn't feel like wow that just shit on Candyman's legacy you know Mm
1: -hmm. I really liked it I really think that it was a movie that like had enough slasher for me had enough interesting layers for me had some heavy handed social commentary um, but still some good social commentary and um, yeah I don't know I I think that like I get Kim's points and I see why it's confusing, but I don't, it doesn't take away from the movie for me. And so like, that's kind of where I end up sitting at where it's like, it's one of those things. And maybe it's because I'm never been a fan of a perfect movie. I mean, I love twilight. Like, come on, but <laughs> <coughs> um, it's one of those things. that's just like, I just, I enjoyed it from start to finish. I thought it was interesting. I thought it had, I thought it was slightly scary. There were moments where I was definitely like on edge and stressed out and, but also was it so scary that I like hated it? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think especially because I watched the first one and loved the first one and then watched this one. I think that definitely like layered into me being more interested in it and definitely like fed into my enjoyment of this one. But at the end of the day, I'd watch it again. I really like it.
0: Yeah, I I can honestly say I I, I pretty much enjoyed this movie the whole way through. I, I I agree that the invisibility um should have been used a bit more sparingly, and I would have liked to see the Sherman Candyman like drag some more people around with a hook like and, and see him a bit more. I feel like they were certainly trying not to show him nearly as much. Like it was, I felt like more of like it was a choice. And I can't say it's one I'd agree with very much, but I think if they had focused more on Sherman, it just would have been more and more apparent how fucking different this Candyman was. Um, And it almost worked. I don't think any of the kills were drawn out or made to be too theatrical. I really think that the deaths were more of a plot point more than anything. It's like, these characters need to die for this to move forward, so we have this more brutal Candyman go and rip them apart to move it forward. And that's not very fun, and I can totally agree with that sentiment that um the kills were not the highlight or focus of this movie like at all. Um killing was very secondary in this movie and um at least I think so. I th- I think the the kills were pretty lackluster but kills weren't the focal point and I didn't spend most of the movie being like I wish more people were gutted. I was really more following the story of what's going on and I think the performances were really great and compelling and Anthony's actor was incredible. And uh It was always going somewhere interesting, so it was kind of easy to set that aside. But I can understand the disappointment of going to see a Candyman movie and not seeing a whole lot that resembles Candyman until, like, the end. And I think I was really unhappy that they changed Candyman so much in the beginning, but then when they gave me at the end, being like, but this isn't that Candyman, it made me feel a lot better, and seeing Anthony's Candyman at the end reflect the tony todd one even before he actually turns into tony todd um it made me realize a okay they they knew what made candy man but also fuck i wish anthony was candy man in this movie for longer <laughs> uh because i think he does a better job than sherman and i don't think it's the actor's fault i think it's just the way it's written there's certainly some interesting choices with it and I can understand a lot of Kim's disappointment in it. Like, I do see it. I do understand it. But overall, I, I enjoyed the movie, and I wasn't bored. And I think that speaks. While there's so many flaws on paper, I watched that whole movie with a smile, and I enjoyed the whole movie. Um, And that, that says a lot to me, because... I get bored, especially in, like, modern horror movies, and I would be like, Jesus Christ, could it move on in the beginning? Can we get to stuff? And I really didn't feel that. So while there's- it's certainly not bulletproof, and there's a, there's problems with it, I had a blast, and I would, I would definitely see it again, and I hope we get a sequel with an Anthony Candyman. I don't think Tony Todd is gonna do another one, but I would really love to see an Anthony Candyman movie that's a little bit more traditional. Um, as far as remakes go, I've been shit on more times than I've enjoyed it, so- I don't feel like I was shit on on this one. I felt like it was pretty respectful, and I I, I dug it. I feel like I've been really repetitive, but I, it it's just kind of how this movie works. Is it's it's very different, and then it throws in doses of familiarity mm-hmm. that make you feel made me realize that they respected it. They didn't just fucking change it and like oh fuck the original Candyman. We're going completely different.
2: Tim,
0: mm-hmm. do you want to give
2: your- <laughs> Yeah, I'll say what I what I like first because this wasn't. A horrible movie <laughs> um I think again DeCasa did a very good job in her directing I think some of the writing the themes obviously things like this aren't always very easy to create and create art out of so I mean I do want to give credit where credit is due in terms of trying to take something like a movie that is so well-known and has its own, not a cult following, but like a love to it. It is is a classic. People know about it. Candyman is something that many people, whether they're from the 90s or not, still know about. Um, I think she uses a really good usage of redirection in terms of trying to build up to what become her plot twists. Personally, I think the twists are a bit dull and, again, I guess lackluster, as I said before. I kind of, maybe it just, because I recognized the last name McCoy when I first saw it, so I assumed it was from the first one, so that wasn't really a big plot twist to to me. Burke, I guess, was a plot twist, but he also didn't fucking make sense to me, so to me the twist in the movie didn't really do much for me, but I will give her credit for a good use of misdirection throughout the film to kind of conceal Anthony's um, identity up until it was revealed. Because even though I recognized the last name, I didn't think like, oh, it's for sure the baby. I just thought, oh my God, McCoy, Mm -hmm. just like Anne-Marie McCoy from the first one. And again, we had just seen the first movie. So I've said that name a lot. And we talked about Anne-Marie so much that I knew all the names of the characters. So when I heard his last name, I was like, oh, McCoy, like from the first movie. I was like, oh, interesting. And then when they said, who hey, he's a baby, I was like, oh, okay, makes sense because of his last name. So it didn't really have the same effect of like, oh my god, they tied it to the first one. Just because it, it wasn't as shocking. So I, I'll, give, I'll give, you know, the twist, the redirection was good. But me personally, it didn't really do much for me. To me, it was pretty dull. Shots were great. Acting was great. We've been over that. Wonderful. Now, <sighs> the dialogue... I have a lot of issues with that, too. And I know I just said the screenplay was pretty good. I meant in terms of, you know, building the movie together, having the details it had. But I'm going to be honest, man. I think the social commentary in this movie kind of sucked. I feel like the difference between the first movie and this one is that I didn't... In the first movie, I didn't have, like, seven different mini little sessions of dialogue talking about, Did you know? gentrification is a thing. Like the first movie, all that we saw were the projects and then the main plot of the movie. Everything else that we got from it, the implied classism, the implied racism, like all those things why the police don't come were never explicitly detailed and talked about because there were things that we knew just from seeing. And again, in this aspect, and I know this doesn't have nothing to do with invisibility thing, I think seeing things and not being told it is so much more powerful than hearing uh-huh. these forced lines of like oh yeah the hood was changed cuz of white people who says that yeah. man like i don't need to hear that 10,000 times if you gentrification isn't something that really needs to be like <laughs> fully thoroughly explained you know, and I, the question's to me kind of who the audience was for just because it wasn't even once or twice, man. That that kind of dialogue was like over and over and over again. And I feel like you can have the theme or the implied change of gentrification in the movie. That's totally fine. And I think there are ways to do that while being subtle. I feel like the first movie didn't have to explain to us why the projects were poor, why people were, you know, afraid of seeing Helen on there. Like, they, there wasn't there wasn't a long-winded explanation of why that is. We fucking knew it. That was just something that we knew. And this movie, it just feels like they try really fucking hard to explain and hammer in. This is the definition of gentrification, just so you know. And I'm like, dude, I get it. I understand. The, you could have just been like the projects are gone and now there's skyscrapers on it that's all I needed to fucking know like it was just so long-winded that it made no like (laughs) no sense to me man it was just kind of like boring so I think a lot of the dialogue was pretty forced I don't think it had a really great flow it really annoyed me especially in the second time watching it I was like god you're really gonna have them say that it was just like there was no like genuineness there was no naturalness to how these dialogues happen. I think the most chemistry we see is between Brianna and Anthony, but I have a gripe with that too, because what was the point of having Brianna and giving her like a pseudo backstory of like her father committed suicide. as yeah. was an artist and then yeah, never fucking touching background. that shit again. What is the point of having her be like her only role really in this movie is being Anthony's girlfriend uh-huh. Um, and a caretaker for struggling artists, aka her dad and Anthony, and then her being a witness at the end. Why? Why? They give her no development, but yet they yeah. give her so many pieces of things like one, she's a wealthy black woman. We don't know if that's inherited or if that's earned, but it it kind of is implied that her and her brother are really well off, seeing the house that they came out of in one of the scenes. You're not gonna give me any sort of discussion or like development on that. No. Of course not. You know, she is a director, a curator in a, like, an art gallery. We don't really get much other than, oh yeah, she's paying for Anthony's stuff, so she's making big bucks. Nothing else that gets really shone on her. Like, it's just like, they give her pieces of things and they never really go anywhere with it. So it's more like, what was the point of it? And I think a lot of this movie is just like, what was the point of that?
0: You're right there. I mean, like, even when they split up, it doesn't change the plot any, like I was saying. Like, when they kind of, like, split up, She's still there at the end, begging for him to live. Yeah. No matter what. I'm not saying because you have a fight once, you should be fine if your significant other as of three days ago dies, but it it doesn't... Yeah, you're right. That doesn't really go somewhere. I did like, though, how they did add that little element to her character with her dad killing himself, but they didn't have to sit down and have her explain everything. (laughs) They really did, like, give you that whole story. It doesn't necessarily connect to anything or go anywhere, yeah, but I did appreciate that if... They added that element, but they did so... In a way where she didn't have to sit and be like, when I was 12. Yeah, yeah. You know no, it was, I mean? it was like, done in a really they, great
2: way. It's just... Yeah. Why, why even include it if you're not going to go anywhere with it at the I, end of the day? You, just take that shit out I up, can't
0: man. argue. I can't argue with you there. You're right there.
2: Um, I think there's some really great lines in this movie. Um, besides the dialogue being really shitty, in my opinion, I think there are some really great one-liners. I think... William Burke's speech, as you know, disgruntled as it is, is very well done. I think he has a very good job of being like kind of crazy, but also kind of right in some of his respects. Um, the ending scene is probably my favorite only because, and this is where, again, it gets confusing as hell, because the one thing that I had an issue with in the first fucking movie was, why is Candyman killing so many fellow black people? And in yeah. this fucking movie, it's different. It's more white people being killed in this movie. We don't really... Until we fucking see, what's his name, William's sister getting killed. What the fuck was the point of that, man? Like, ugh. And at the end, it implies, like, that Anthony, by killing all those cops, because she is the one that said Candyman. So per that, Brianna should have been the one that was killed. But by her calling him and him killing the cops... There's now a breakage in sort of how Candyman works, right? And I know we've had exceptions in the first one in terms of Helen, but that was because Helen was, as we know, part of the destiny of Candyman's background. It's a a whole connection. There's a reason why he did not kill Helen. He needed
0: her. it could be to tell everybody could be that reason.
1: I mean, (laughs) I thought that. And then the other thing that I thought is that if we're saying that it is Anthony and that that's who came back, if the candy men are following their original storylines and like the same way that in the first one, Helen is follow- the original story. And so she's significant. His original storyline is he was in love with this girl and then like got kidnapped as a baby and all this shit. But when he died, he was being held by her. Yeah. So he would want to protect her.
0: I could see that too, definitely. I
1: 'Cause I don't I don't think I don't I think, mean it's reaching, uh, but it's Rob- a thought. I don't
0: think Robita's Candyman would have killed the woman he died for if she'd have said it. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. There's no precedence for it in a film, you know, but I think that's a fair that's a fair call. And I think I, I see it also as like Tony Todd's Candyman being like returning and having no wish to go to to leave again. Uh-huh. Like I'm back. Um, I want to stay. So tell everybody.
2: Well, what I was what because I didn't finish. But what I was going towards was the fact that at ad- before I left off. Um, the fact that Anthony's. Anthony's Candyman says a specific line when he's about to kill the final cop, and I wrote it down because I thought it was very interesting. He said, "Some have said that I've spilled innocent blood, but yours is far from innocent." And he kills the cops instead of killing Brianna. Which, like I like I was saying, the more is, and we've seen throughout this movie with Sherman as well as the Candyman from the first movie. You say his name, you die. The exception was Helen from the very first movie because of the storyline that that movie was going into. Now, it's not so much that he spared Brianna, but more so that he killed the rest of the cops. So it kind of has this almost vengeance sort of aspect to it. Like, I'm gonna kill the people that basically killed me. Now, (laughs) again, does not make fucking sense, okay, doesn't really make sense with everything else that's going on. Would have been fine if we didn't have the Sherman candyman who was just killing people who say you know what I mean? Like the consistency of how this works doesn't make sense. Right? Like at the end of the day, even though it's cool and even though it might be something that we as the audience feels justified, like, oh my god, he got back at the people that killed him. There's a revenge to it. There's like a full circle to it. I feel like it just it takes away From what the lore is even about. Like, at this point now, if someone were to tell me, like... So the theory is, like, if you say Candyman's name five times and, like, he kills you, right? I'd be like, I don't fucking know anymore. Because now there's not even just one fucking Candyman. It depends on which one you're talking about. Now, I guess he's a vengeful person now and he's just gonna kill the cops that killed him i don't know moving forward does that mean that he's not gonna be like an avenger and just fucking kill people to protect black people is it gonna be now like tony todd where he just fucking kills anyone that says his name like why did he do it then and why is he not doing it now there's just so much that just doesn't make sense with this movie and (laughs) it's just so it's so confusing and even though you know, oh, it's cool in the scene or it's cool in the moment, like it just kind of fucked up the whole like storyline of candyman, and I think having different candyman to me takes away from Tony Todd's candyman. it would be like if we had like four different people who wore the mask of Michael Myers and was like well this is this is Joseph's Michael Myers, but he's wearing the mask, so he's Michael Myers, but in the eighties, and then the original Michael Myers was from the seventies, like it just doesn't make sense to me it's like it takes away from the iconness of Candyman. Because Candyman, to me, has always been Daniel Robitaille. That's He has one storyline, and he has one objective in the first movie. I haven't seen the other two from that, so I don't know where that goes. And it's a very cohesive... You do this, this happens. You say his name, he kills you. With some exceptions, depending on the plot. Oh, he spared Helen because of his past. Fine. Makes fucking sense. Now we have, like... <laughs> So many different things that it just it, it to me, movies need to make sense, especially if you're dealing with an icon like Candyman. So now I don't even really know what Candyman is or who he is or what the fuck he does. Theoretically, is it cool? Yes. Is Anthony coming back and killing the people who wronged him and murdered him? A really cool like scene, and does it feel fulfilling as an audience member? Yes, 100 percent, that scene was well done, well executed. We felt justified in seeing him get his revenge and Brianna live. 100%. Is seeing Sherman also continue on and do his thing? Does that make sense? Not really. But Sherman was kind of cool. Poor guy didn't deserve it. You know, and that really doesn't go anywhere. So it's just really frustrating to me because I'm left with being like, I just don't know what the fuck Candyman is anymore. He's many people. But that's just fucking stupid to me. It's just... And it's just really, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it feels really, like, stale. And it it was just, like, they tried really well, and I will give them the effort for trying and doing a decent job and trying to do something that not many people succeed in, and that is making a sequel to a movie that is really well-known. I will give them points for creativity. I will give them points for doing a really great job in producing, having great shots, and casting great actors. The violence for me was kind of subpar, um some of the kills were pretty cool not all of them I think it definitely did not have the same charms for the first one and yes that is because Tony Todd made one fucking appearance at the end I missed him that's kind of what I wanted from Candyman when I think Candyman I think Tony Todd so it was a bit disappointing to not have him most of the movie And I think some of the charm was lost. I think we mentioned in the first movie without Tony Todd, that movie wouldn't have been as successful. And I think that also applies to this movie. Tony Todd wasn't really in it. So to me, it wasn't that fucking good. Um, And I just think overall, they did a great job. Great conversation in terms of, again, I mentioned generational trauma. Good conversation on that. I think Jordan Peele has a really good eye for being creative and really putting that into his stories I think stories like this should be told I think having these discussions done by black directors and black writers is really important you know this is their story to tell this at the end of the day is for them to sort of share and convey with audiences and it's things that we do have to see and it has an importance within not just horror but you know movies and cinema itself so I'm really glad this movie was made at the end of the day and made well I just I just think they could have done a better job at consistency. If they do a sequel, probably maybe we'll watch it. But I just think it could have been handled a little bit better and I was still disappointed. But good for them for making a good movie. And I am glad that people really do enjoy it because, you know, we do want to support films that are made with the intention of really having great messages that are more than just something dark. James Wan. That's it. <laughs> Demon huh. in the House. jump scare. Oh my god. So this movie at least takes away from that sort of basicness of modern horror. So I will give it that. I do think it's different. It's creative. And I give it points for that. It's not just a regurgitation of Insidious or The Conjuring. (laughs) So I have to give it points for that as well. It wasn't horrible. It had enjoyable moments. Maybe if I give it some time and I watch it in like a year or two, I might have different feelings about it. I might like it more. Um, but as of right now, it's just kind of like, meh, it was okay, I guess. Glad I spent money on my ticket, glad I liked it, glad I watched it twice, but would I watch it a third time after this? probably not I think
0: I think a lot of that's I think a lot of that's really valid. We do really need Dan, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We really need Dan, so um, I was hoping that a j wouldn't ruin it, but she ruined it. Uh, we're watching Candyland, the great long. <laughs> that's why you can't tell thinking me thinking she uh, thought she'd keep it to herself but she's had nope. have to keep letting it slip but Candyland uh, Candyland can't can It came out in 2005 and it looks uh it looks much scarier than any movie we've watched in the past few months actually just by the couple shots I'm <laughs> But uh until we watch that I've been Aaron
1: I've been AJ I'm Kim
0: and uh, I love you bye